Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz played the Cleveland Cavaliers, and that version of the Cavaliers is way better than that version of the Jazz. That version of the Jazz got worse in the second quarter when Joe Ingles got kicked out. Specifically, I can't tell you why. Generally, he was irritated all night long, got an early technical foul that, honestly, I thought he should have gotten quicker. The bump on the inbounds could have been it. And the turn around and say something could have been it. But continuing when he got to the top of the key and looking over his shoulder and going a third time, yeah, okay, that was it. Then he got the tee. Now, the second tee, it wasn't clear. I mean, obviously, they missed a foul. Obviously, we saw in a replay, but Donovich got grabbed and pulled. And when you're up in the air, it's easy to knock you off balance and knock you to the ground. So... That got missed, and Quinn was mad, and Bogey was mad, but Joe was talking on defense, and then Joe was talking in transition, and then there was a timeout, and Joe was talking on the way to his huddle. And so, I don't know what he said. I don't know when he said it, but while they were selling uh, Hershey's candy or whatever, he got kicked out. <laughs> and that was that. I don't know that they could have won. I mean, they, were, they trailed the whole first half. They trailed the entire time Joe was in the game. But at least it was close. Once Joe was gone, I think the players knew, I think the coaches knew, I think everybody in the crowd knew, the Jazz weren't winning that game. Cleveland dropped that big run on the third quarter, and that was that. So, three days to see if Rudy Gobert can get healthy. You know, they played a team full of the whole front line of seven-footers, and they didn't have their three seven-footers. Now they only play one at a time, and I don't know how much that would have mattered. Well, it would have mattered. To what degree would it have been enough to win the game? I don't know. Does Joe stay in the game? Maybe he's not as irritable? I don't know. Hopefully, they'll look more like a full team on Sunday. And having Ingles and Gobert will certainly be a step in the right direction. We'll have other guys back. We'll just have to wait and see. It's a pretty unpredictable time in the NBA. All right, we've got a big college game. Tonight, it is BYU and Gonzaga. And Mark Pope, meeting with the media, will let you listen to a little bit of what he had to say as he gets his guys ready for a showdown with the best team in the league. Does there been like an added intensity to the practices this week? You know, I just, I'm telling you, whenever I, I feel a lack of it, focus or intensity, I just look down the hall and I see this Ray Stewart, Coach Stewart. He just breathes intensity in everything he does. Right, Ray? Let's go, baby. Uh, listen, we, 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 um, I wish we could increase the intensity. I just think that's the way this team approaches it every day. Uh, we, we recognize how hard every game is. The truth is is that St. Mary's was the hardest game we played all season. And before that, Pacific was the hardest game we played all season. And now Gonzaga is going to be the hardest game we played all season. So it's just um, we prepare as hard as we possibly can for every game. We just don't know any other way to do it. How similar or different is this year's Gonzaga team compared to the one you saw last year? Well, they're longer because of Chet. He makes them way longer. Um, they are a little bit younger um, in some ways. Uh, you know, we, for example, Corey was there last year, and, and he was just a vet's vet. He'd been there forever. He was like Drew, right? Um, um, they are uh, still built... In, in essence, some of the same things are still terrifying. They're still playing ridiculously fast. Uh, they're really, really skilled. They're incredibly physical. Um, they're super talented. Um, so all the, all the problems are the same. It's just some different faces. They kind of looked, looked 
like you had a mixture of coaches and players mimicking guys the length of Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy. Who did you have out there? Practice. Well, Coach Robinson is practicing a lot for us right now just because we're down bodies, so he spent a lot of time on the practice court, and he's a heck of a basketball player. Um, so he's 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 uh, been spending the most time out there, but when we do individual work, uh, all of our coaches are on the floor trying to do the best they can to simulate. The one thing about Gonzaga is you can't, you know, it's like um, – you, you can try your best to mimic their pace and their length and athleticism and skill, but you just can't. The first time you're going to see it, it's Thursday night at 8 p.m. when the ball tips, right? Um, but you're just, trying to, you're just trying to connect some of the concepts and, and some of the things that are most urgent with our guys' experience. And, and um, if we can do that, we'll have a chance to be successful. How much is this game a measuring stick for you guys at this point of the season? Well, it always is when you play the Zags. They're one of the top teams in the country. Usually they're the top, you know, the undisputed top team in the country. And they might be this year also right now. Um, but it, it's great. I mean, you know, we've talked about this a lot. When you get to get to go play the best team in the country at their place, um, that's actually the toughest game you're going you're gonna to have. Any team in college basketball is going to have. Um, and they certainly have been that. You know, they, they did a graphic during the um, – Pepperdine game uh, so I'm watching film just kind of cutting it up and taking notes and all of a sudden I see this graphic come on that's just got um, five game scores just the points scored in five games and so I went back and listened to the volume and it is all of Drew Timmy's losses in his tenure at Gonzaga there's only five teams and um, that's a pretty incredible thing and this is year four right and um and so, you know, it's a, it's a unique gift for us that nobody else in the country gets, really, in the last couple of years. we played them more than anybody else. And so it is a, you know, you always want to go play the best, and they are the very best. Are these the type of games, Coach, that you tell, you bring up to a Tijon Lucas or, or Seneca Knight when they're trying to, you're making a decision to come here, I mean, the, the opportunities to stage to play in these type of games? Yeah, well, I think certainly um, – Gonzaga has gone a long way to validating this conference, right? So, um, you know, their name always comes up. You, you, you know, they're they're they've been ranked number one in the country, I think, for wasn't it two straight years, right? And then, um, you know, they've played in the national championship game two out of the last three or four years, or give or take. And um, they they certainly have been the most successful basketball team record-wise in the last decade in college basketball. It's pretty impressive. And so. Um, yeah, it, it comes up a little bit. You know, we keep our schedule pretty pretty uh, loaded, so definitely that's one of the things that comes up. Um, but more, it's for more for our current players. It's just the chase. It's not just us. It's every team in college basketball that's chasing Gonzaga. Kentucky's chasing Gonzaga. North Carolina's chasing Gonzaga. Duke is chasing Gonzaga. Everybody's chasing Gonzaga. So uh, the fact that they're right here in our league is pretty awesome. Well, I do feel like we've been tested for sure. Um, we haven't had uh, two games in three days like this, though. Um, but, but, you know, as close, to, as close to that as we can get, we have. Um, I, think, I think our guys have a healthy understanding of how challenging this is. I think they have an understanding of how what a great opportunity is. Um, you know, there's there's 
there's not that many road trips in any team anywhere in the country is going to have than this Gonzaga-San Francisco trip this year, right? In terms of the distance and the geography and the quality of teams and, and the venues. And so um, it's pretty cool that we get to do it right now, right? And, and you know, we will, we, we will learn so much from this road trip, and, and I'm excited about that. Feel better prepared for this matchup against Gonzaga, considering previous two, two games in the regular season were moved up on short notice. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know if you're ever prepared to play these guys. Nobody has been so far, right? Um, but you know, we've you know our two regular season games uh, last year home and away, you kind of looked up at the clock a minute and 30 seconds in and you're like, what just happened? It's like a halftime score against St. Mary's. And um, and so it happens really fast. And, um, you know, it took us, you know, I talk about this all the time, guys. When you're coaching players, you're always trying to match up your words with their experience and understanding. And so... Every single team that has played the Zags, I don't know what they played, 14 games, let's say. So they've had 14 teams that spent the two or three or four days or five days or one day or whatever they had to prep talking about transition defense. Everybody's changing their game plan, saying, hey, we're sending five guys back. We're sending seven guys back. We're going to recruit all three officials to run back and transition with us. And um, still... The Zags are still running everybody to death, right? They just scored 117 points. The second possession of the game. I know Lorenzo Romar is 10 times the coach I will ever dream of being, okay? The second possession of the game, it was 28 seconds into the game. Was a, it, was, it was actually the second possession uh, Gonzaga setting the score. And it was, a, it was a defensive rebound and a 60-foot like laser pass to a layup. Trust me, Lorenzo Romar has been talking about – I think they had a 10-day prep, right, because they were out with COVID. I guarantee every one of those 10 days he was telling his guys, we got to get back in transition. So the challenge is actually matching up those words with, like, players' DNA, like what's inside them, the urgency they feel. And so, you know, you asked about – playing tough games in our schedule, all that stuff helps, right? It helps bridge the gap between the words you're saying and the urgency that you're asking for and the player's understanding of what that really means and feels like and looks like. You know, you're a big believer in seniors are, are magic. Uh, does the magic need to show itself in, in the yes. and on the hilltop this weekend? Yeah, we're not winning a lot of games without Alex and Tijon being great. You know, um, they don't have to score all the points. They don't have to make all the plays, but they got to be they, they have their presence has to be felt. There's no doubt about it. It's just really, really important for us. Thinking of Alex, how uh, how impressed were you with with his effort on the glass in St. Mary's, and how important is that for you for your team being undersized? Yeah. So, uh, not only his effort on the glass, but his his focus on the defensive end was at an elite level. Um, you know, we talked about this after the game a little bit. He he had uh, he's he's actually had a great year defensively. It was just a little bit of slippage for two or three games leading up to the Pacific St. Mary's. And St. Mary's, he was just, in terms of making reads on the defensive end and filling holes and um, being in the right spot at the right time in the right way, he was incredible. And part of that is the glass. 
And so I was super proud of him. I mean, it's hard to do what he did on the defensive end for any of us to ever have a night like he did on the defensive end. He was really special. Tijon was really, really special. And so we need them to continue to do that for us to be successful. What can a game like this do for a player like Foos, who's a freshman, whose role has been elevated because of just the roster stuff that has happened to you? Well, you know, for a lesser uh, freshman, it could break them, or it could, you know, uh, it could break them either way. They could play great and it could ruin them, or they, he could play bad and it could ruin them, or he could play medium and it could ruin them, right? But Foos is just such an extraordinary young man that this is just going to be whatever happens, whether he plays great or medium or poor, um, he's going to learn from it and he's going to grow from it. So that's the impact that's going to have for him. You know, I think it's fun for every player. Just like I was talking about um, after the St. Mary's game about how I feel so happy for all these players of other teams that get to walk into this gym and just experience one of the ultimate college basketball atmospheres in the country going right now. Um, you know, I, I love it for every player to go play against, you know, the top, you know, college basketball team in the country over the last 10 years. Like, that's pretty great. So he gets to go kind of measure himself and see where he is, and he's going to grow from it. And um, and so that's really exciting for all the guys on this team that they get to do that. In the time that you've known Foos, what have you learned about just him as a person off the court? Well, he is a, he is a, he is a, he is incredibly kind. He's really, really smart, and he's got an old soul. And what I mean by that is, um, he is, um, you know, he's consistent every single day. He he gets up in the morning to do his work. You know, if he he's one of those guys that you know. You would describe him. I don't know if this is actually factual because I don't check his room, but he's one of those guys that you would get, expect that gets up and makes his bed every single morning, right? He just handles his business every single morning. Him and Atiki's schedule right now is so tough because they're, I mean, from from the time when they wake up in the morning till you know late in the evening, they're either on the court in the film room, doing basketball meetings with their tutors in class or doing homework. Like, it literally is. Uh, they're on a military regiment right now. And and I have never heard either one of those young men ever even look sideways about what they're doing. It's incredible. You know, I, I wish I wish I could be as disciplined as Foose is. And so he is a, he's a special young man. All right, there's Mark Pope talking about Gonzaga. When we come back, the best of the postgame show. Stay with us as the Jazz fall to the Cavs. Good morning, DJ and PK. The Utah Jazz got beat by Cleveland. It is time right now for the best of the postgame show. How did it all go so wrong? Jazz recap here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm Jay Catch filling in for Jake Scott on this edition of the Best of the Jazz postgame show. The Utah Jazz fall 111 to 91 to the Cleveland Cavaliers last night here at Vivint Arena. First half, the Utah Jazz undersized without any of their centers on their roster available due to health and safety protocols. They battled. They hung tough early on in this game, but in the third quarter, it all went downhill with the Cleveland Cavaliers using their size and length to go on a 21 to nothing run to blow this game wide open and the Jazz never recovered in this 111-91 loss. The Utah Jazz have now lost four straight. Let you hear now from Quinn Snyder on his thoughts after the game. Coach, offensively, how how much did not having any big, um, you know, any of your bigs, big or small, on the roster affect um, the screen game and the ability to create uh, initial um, 
advantage, which uh, affected you yeah. know, the assist total. I understand. Well, there, there isn't going to be much of a screening game, um, you know, but there is a spacing uh, pick and roll and a penetration game. And, you know, when we don't have fives rolling, you know, the lane's open and that's an opportunity for us to just get in the paint. You know, and if they collapse, you know, have our eyes out and kick the ball out. If they stay with shooters, which they did, you know, especially early in the game, we're going to have the rim. And, you know, so you, you play differently. Um, you know, we've, you know, habitually we play pick and roll with our five. So um, not having a five, you know, can impact that. But then there's plenty of situations where it's small, small pick and roll or five is flat where it's really about penetrating to, to, you know, to get something for someone else. And, you know, that's what I thought, you know, particularly in the third quarter, the first, the first half, you know, was, wasn't perfect, but we missed a lot of open shots. Um, we got hung up in some individual um, confrontations with referees that I thought distracted us. Um, regardless of, you know, whether the call is right or wrong. Um, you know, we can't have that in a game like this because your margin for error is so small. Um, you know, but I, I thought, you know, in the third quarter, we, I think it was a four point game at one point, And then they went on that, you know, that, that run. And, uh, you know, in, in this situation, we've got to run and attack the rim and create for each other. And we didn't do that consistently enough. Q, I was going to ask you about that 21 to zero run that they had in the third quarter. Obviously you expect them to come out with, you know, some changes post halftime, but what was it that was really kind of different during that stretch that allowed the game to kind of get away from you guys? Well, I thought, you know, what I mentioned before offensively, you know, where we, we just made it hard on ourselves and it needed to be um, where the ball, you know, the, the ball would stick um, instead of moving it quickly, shooting it. Um, and we get into some isolation situations, which, which aren't bad, but usually, you know, beating your man to create for someone else, um, you know, is what we, we talked about. And I thought, you know, on the defensive end, you know, they wore us down a little bit, you know, inside and put us in some situations that, you know, we're just not as familiar with, with that group. If we've got smalls playing, playing post D and trying to help there. And then the ball's coming out and, you know, they started making some shots. Garland hit some shots. Um, you know, I thought Stevens, you know, slashing to the rim hurt us and hit a couple mid-range shots too. So, um, you know, but when, when you're, when you're not playing well on both ends of the floor, that that's, that's the result. Eric Pascal's had a couple of good games in, in this kind of stretch. And I'm curious, A, what you thought of his play tonight and in general over these games, and then B, kind of how you're making the decision on whether or not to include him in your healthy rotation moving forward. Well, you know, I think the first thing is that the most important thing is that, you know, that he's playing well and he's played well, um, you know, both when he's been quote unquote at the four, you know, or, you know, tonight more at the five. Um, he's had a big couple of weeks. He had a baby boy and you know, he's come back and he's been ready. When, when we talked to you the other night after the Toronto game where, you know, none of the starters and you mentioned that, uh, no matter how unusual the circumstances, you felt like there was always something that you could kind of take from the game and, and use it going forward. Uh, what might be some of those areas uh, from a game like tonight? 
But, you know, I thought it, at halftime, we very well could have been up. You know, we had Boyan and Mike, you know, miss a couple free throws that, you know, you, you can usually count on. Um, we had a number of really good looks from three that we missed, or we might have been leading at halftime, you know, and I don't think we were playing great. But, um, and then, you know, in the second half, um, we just didn't have the same rhythm as far as, um, point five and, and finding people and, you know, re-spacing when guys drive, there's just a lot of things on every possession and you can't hang in on any one player. It's just us collectively. And that's a different situation for us to be in, you know, it is. So figuring out how to play in, in a five out setting when we do have an advantage getting to the lane and then recognizing, you know, is there help coming? Um, where I can, can, you know, have my eyes out and find a shooter or, you know, or they stand with shooters and then I've, I've got the rim. And I, I think those are some reads that, um, you know, that we'll, we'll keep getting better at whether, whether or not we're small, you know, or, or playing with, you know, with a big, um, you know, those situations present themselves, you know, in, in, in both circumstances. There you go. Quinn Snyder after the Utah Jazz fall 111-91 to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Donovan Mitchell last night playing his best and doing his best to keep the Jazz in this game. Led the Jazz with, led Jazz starters, excuse me, with 17 points. Go shooting 6 of 16 from the field in 33 minutes of action. He spoke after the game about the loss and what he took away from it. Don, uh, you know, you've been pretty frustrated over the last couple of games uh, after the losses. I'm wondering how this one kind of measures up on the level of frustration without a front court of any kind. So I'm wondering if it's maybe less frustrating or how it measures Um, First of all, we competed, you know, given the circumstances. Um, can't complain about that. I think the biggest thing is we, first of all, we missed shots. <laughs> they made shots, uh, but you know, we can move the ball a little more. Uh, I think we, we had no assist in the third quarter. That uh, that changed a lot. Um, we fought and completed and competed in club, but when they have sixty, I think it was sixty second chance points or something like that. Like you know, there's three footers out there. You know, we, we're doing our best competing, but you know, at some point in time, you know, that's going to give. But you know, there's there's things to take away from here. This game, good and bad. I think the the bad, what I would say, would be we we. We got a little stagnant, you know, and it's tough when we're doing things on the fly, but still we can get to what we do getting in the paint, finding guys who are open. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll be fine. And you knew how important Rudy Gobert was to this team before now, but has, like, the last four or five games really kind of, like, reminded you, hey, this is – and maybe taught you kind of a lesson on how important Rudy is to this team on both ends? A lesson? Maybe less than um, the wrong word, but like, I, you know, really shown you evidence that how important he is. Well, no, it was no secret. I, I don't think we underappreciate him. Maybe the outside world might have. I don't think anyone in this locker room um, undervalued his presence. Um, but, you know, in the same token, we lost two winnable games um, in Indiana um, and um, Detroit. Um, tonight we had no centers. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's no secret, you know, he's the three time defensive player of the year for a reason, but I don't, I wouldn't say we, we, we under, 
the answer would be no, because we all value him. I would say maybe externally it was, it was looked, as, looked at a certain way, but we all know that what, what it is, you know, uh, with Rudy. So um, I would say no, because we know his value, know his worth. Um, and we know, you know, what he brings, especially on the defensive end. There you go, Donovan Mitchell, speaking after the Jazz fell to the Cleveland Cavaliers last night. Let's let you hear now from Jordan Clarkson, who led the Jazz in scoring on the night with 22 points off the bench on 8 of 17 shooting, 4 of 11 from 3 and 34 minutes of action. Here's JC. JC, you guys were uh, pretty competitive in that first half, actually, and then they had that 21 nothing run in the third quarter. Uh, what were kind of the big differences as the game went along? Um... I think uh, we were, like, shifting uh, really heavy on, like, Lamar uh, Stevens, and he got going really in the second half. That kind of uh, helped they run. But um, – and then they got three, four, seven-footers that's posting up uh, all game where it's really pulling us in and uh, causing us, you know, getting close our situations. But <clears throat> I think we did a good job of fighting in terms of um, what we were up against tonight. Um you know, they just play well and got the win. Hey, JC, what have you been impressed with with Eric Pascal over the last week? Uh, just his ability to come in here and impact the game. Uh, you know, he was starting playing early in the season, preseason. Um, first few games of the, of the season was in the rotation. And uh, then, you know, Rudy comes back and, um, you know, kind of just – falls out the rotation and, and, you know, at these moments, uh, he's a pro. He's been in the league. Um, you know, he's, you see his impact uh, playing with energy. Um, you see him getting stops defensively, rebounding and making shots. Uh, and he plays super hard. So uh, I think he's been uh, super great with, uh, you know, what's been going on. And uh, I'm happy for him that he's uh, been impacting this way. There you go, Jordan Clarkson. Obviously, a tough night for the Utah Jazz as they lose their fourth straight, hoping to get more bodies back as they head to Denver on Sunday. Let's let it wrap up things here with the postgame show with some comments from Eric Paschal, who had a breakout performance with 18 points, shooting 7 of 7 in the first half, finishing 8 of 11 from the field, 2 of 3 from beyond the arc, and 33 minutes of action. Here's Eric Paschal after the game. Hey, EP, can you... Kind of just take us through kind of what the the big challenges are on a night like tonight, where you guys don't have any of your usual traditional centers, and um, you're facing a team with as much size as, as the Cavs had. Uh, obviously, it's a little difficult. I mean, uh, they got like three seven footers, but uh, again, we we just again we go out there, we try to play, uh, try to do the right things. They were just a really big team, so uh, shout out to them. They played well. Um, but, I mean, we just got to try to adjust to it just in case it happens again. What changed in the second half? You had a big first half and you were getting to the basket. But then in that third quarter, um, no assists, everything seemed to stop. What did you see from your vantage point? Um, I'll say we just we, – we, we took a lot of good shots. Um, we just didn't make a lot. Uh but again, we, we took a lot of good shots. We tried to move the ball correctly and uh, exactly play the right way. But we just didn't make shots. 
There you go. Utah Jazz post-game audio recapping the Jazz loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Jazz now have a nice little break before they will head to Denver to take on the Nuggets Sunday evening. Six o'clock tip-off. And of course, a pregame coverage here on the Zone Sports Center will begin at five o'clock. DJ, back to you. All right, there's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, we go big picture on the NBA. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Varden from The Athletic joined PK and I late in yesterday's show. His conversation with us right now on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joe, good morning. Hey, DJ, how's it going? Good. You know, there was a time when I think most of us, could, if we were given two or three picks, could pick the NBA champ and we could give somebody else 27 or 28 teams in the field and they'd have no chance of winning that bet eight or nine years out of ten. Most of the time you knew. With the three-point shot, it feels like that's broadened a little bit, and maybe with COVID it's even harder to predict right now. But if I said there were legitimately six teams that could win the NBA title, do you think I'm being too generous, or you'd agree? Hmm, I'm counting in my head. Um, Suns. I don't know. Suns, Warriors, Jazz, Bulls, Nets, Bucks. And I know the Grizzlies are hot, but I didn't count them as one of the six. I didn't mention yeah. Miami in the standings. They look pretty good, too. So, but I, and, yeah. and maybe you swap one of the teams out and you put the Grizzlies in. But is it really six teams with a legit shot? Well, I, I'm fine with all those. I mean, you know, the Bucks are kind of middling through. Um, but they did that last year and won it all, so they kind of know what they're doing. Um, the Bulls, this iteration of the Bulls has never been there before. And, I mean, at least like when you consider the guys who are leading them, you're talking about DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, they haven't been to the top yet either, uh, which is what the Jazz, of course, are dealing with, except they've been together for a lot longer. Um, so I would like the Jazz over the Bulls at this point. You know, Brooklyn, I've seen them a bunch um, through my work in the East. And, and, you know, I mean, Kevin Durant is awesome. He was awesome in the Olympics. He was awesome last year in the playoffs. Um, they've been wrecked by injury. You know, they don't have Joe Harris. The Kyrie situation is weird. You know, he looks great when he's out there, actually, but, he, you know, he's only available a, a quarter of the time. Um, you know, and then out west, I mean, the, the Warriors, they just got Clay back into the fold, and actually they don't look great offensively with him, which, of course, is to be expected. But considering all that they've done all year, you think he gets into the fold and they'll – they'll be pretty tough to beat. And then the Suns are probably as deep as anybody. So, you know, I I like your list, and you're right. I mean, we went through that stretch of four or five years where it was the Warriors or the Cavs or that's it. Um, And we've we've gone past that, and and the the Warriors are back, but it's it's different. Um, Nobody's thinking about the Bucs, really, even though they're defending champs. So I think it's good for the league. I mean, in, in a year where the league needed to come back from a ratings perspective and a popularity perspective, I think you're seeing that. I think the ratings are up. I think interest is up. Um, and more good teams is a better thing, obviously. Trade deadline is less than a month away now. How much yeah. movement do you expect? And then after that, there's always the buyout market. So, okay, so first of all, I, I don't I don't put a ton of, of faith in the buyout market in, in, insofar as um, you don't go there – Typically, to, uh, to 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 turn your team into a championship uh, team. 
it just like you you'll probably be able to find a, an example where I'm wrong. Um, but by and large, that doesn't work for most for most teams. I think the bigger pieces move at the trade deadline. You know, the the biggest piece obviously is Ben Simmons and what's going to happen with him. Um, but he's the biggest in terms of how decorated he is. I mean, he wasn't very good in the playoffs last year, and then obviously he hasn't played at all this year. Uh, but he's the biggest piece, and he's got the most money attached to him, and so you you wait to see what, what happens there. I, I think, hopefully, uh, that the, the COVID, which is running rampant through the league and through our, our country, will will, um, will will regress, and the, the league will be able to get back to business as usual. But right now, GMs haven't had a whole lot of time to talk significant trade. You know, they're, they're worried either about, uh, filling their own rosters with these 10-day guys. I know Utah just signed somebody. Don't don't ask me to say who it was, um, but they just picked up. They just signed a guy to a 10-day deal. Zylan Cheatham. All right. Well, hey, there you go. Like there, <laughs> you, I couldn't name him. I mean, we could sit here all day, and I wouldn't come up with that name. Uh, and that's <laughs> that's been a struggle for the league the last few weeks for sure, having to to play with those kinds of players. But so it goes, as Billy Joel says. Joe Varden joining us, covering the NBA for The Athletic. I am, uh, I am amazed by the Clay Thompson. He was so good. He has been out so long. There's a handful of guys you can kind of sort of compare him to, but it doesn't really fit. What he's doing is uh, unprecedented. Just absolutely not play at all for two and a half years. Even, even Bill Walton got out on the court occasionally, and uh, Grant Hill got out on the court occasionally. Uh, what level do you expect him to return? turn to yeah I, I mean he certainly like th- that dunk was awesome and he hit a couple threes against the Cavs um, last night against the Grizzlies I think he was two of five but he doesn't he, like I think we can agree he doesn't look like old clay yet and nor should he um, I, and talking to the either Warriors people or my Warriors people um, you know, I mean, there's a hope that what we're talking 80% clay, 85% clay this year, um, and go from there. I mean, any kind of serviceable clay who's just healthy, you know, forget about the certain spring in a step or how long it takes to get that jumper back to full strength, um, ability to, to lock down defensively and almost any guy on the floor. Just a competent, healthy clay on that team and that system makes them a really, really tough out. And, uh, and yeah, it's remarkable what Clay is, is doing so far here in the early going. Um, but I think it's more, it's, it's more so what he overcame to get here. I mean, because he was healthy. He was ready to come back. And then to suffer another devastating injury after a year of rehab, that is just, you know, as far as pro athletes go, there's not a whole lot worse that can happen to you. Um, as far as having to overcome it mentally. So kudos to him for being able to stick it out and, and, and go through two full years of rehabilitation uh, and to come out on the other side of it. In the West, it looks like you got four teams have separated themselves. We'll see how it finishes out, putting Memphis in there as they are really playing well of late and looks like they've got a lot of talent, young talent to develop. The thing that's curious to me is that when we get to the postseason – who knows what we could see right from the start in the first round because you can look at Denver, the Clippers, and the Lakers. 
theoretically, I don't know if it'll happen, but they could have all their guys back. So what they will have gone through a whole bunch of the season may not look anything like the playoffs. So I'm thinking, get your thought on it, has the potential to be really yeah. crazy if the rosters are full the way they're intended to be. That's a great point. And I think the best of those examples is the Nuggets. You know, you got to think about a Nuggets team. They have been on the doorstep. You know, we're talking conference finals. We're talking conference semifinals. Um, you know, they've been through it with, with Jokic and Jamal Murray. Those are two of the better players in the league. And, and to just be sort of keeping their head above water with all the COVID they're dealing with, and then, of course, with Jamal Murray being out, you know, all of a sudden you get a Denver team that has him back and is sort of stayed afloat with all they've been through. Like, yeah, that's a hell of a seven seed. I mean, whew, that's, really, that's really tough, you know. And then the Lakers, I, I'm a little bit – like the, the way they are built, they, they have to like it's got to be LeBron. Like LeBron has to carry them. Uh, Anthony Davis has not shown an ability to do it. He has not lived up to to sort of the plan there, which is for him to become the alpha and LeBron to be his wingman. That has not happened. Um, so if LeBron, who has been awesome by himself this year, but his great play has not been enough to get them, you know anywhere near where they thought they would be. Um, so we'll see with, with Anthony Davis. I think he's the kind of second one, uh, or the, that's the second item there. Um, you know, you guys haven't even asked me about the Jazz yet. Um, We're getting there. Don't worry. But, okay. I just, I like them. I, I like them. I, I think that the reaction to the three-game losing streak is overblown. And, um, you know, and even, and especially even who they lost to. I mean, losing to the Pistons. I mean, it happens in this league. I mean, you look around. I think every team has bad losses. Um, and, and you know, I think the Jazz, more than any team over the last couple of years, has learned that lesson that it's not about how you finish in the regular season. It's the things that you do to prepare yourself um, for that postseason. It's a different game. And so, you know, I think Quinn was right the other night when he said, you know, we need to use this game to, to further focus us. And that, that's it. That's the only thing that matters is it was another reminder about having to play on the perimeter and having to be a physical, gritty defensive team when Rudy's not out there. Um, and also to draw it up <laughs> in a way so that you don't have to have Rudy running out to the corner. Um, which the perfect way to practice that and when he, is when he's unable to play. It doesn't matter that they blew a second-half lead to the Pistons. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And they're not, the Jazz probably aren't going to win the West during the regular season. They're not going to get that number one seed, but that, that, that's okay. What matters is learning these lessons now because they are a team that knows each other well, and they have been, to, you know, they've been through the, a, a number of playoff runs. So they, they're there. They're ready. You know, to contend deep, it's, it's, it's about shaping the roster and shaping how they do their stuff um, to be ready for, to, to, for, for playoff action. Forget about this stuff now. I think what matters about the Piston game isn't the final score and whether they won or lost. It's the fact that they didn't play the right way when they needed to. Yeah. And when things started going wrong, they weren't capable of taking the game by the shoulders 
or the neck or whatever else, you know, grabbing it and spinning it around and making it go the way they want it to. And those are things you need to do in playoff games because the playoff games are going to go wrong at some point. And you have got to be able to summon something and change the direction of a playoff game. That's how the Clippers knocked the Jazz out in Game 6. It was going poorly for the Clippers until it was going great for the Clippers. They turned the game around. And so, aside from the final score, the fact that Jazz didn't know, do those things, which would have impacted the final score, that's a concerning <laughs> part. And they obviously don't have their guys. If they're playing without Gobert, they're not going to win the title. So, playing without right. Gobert in the regular season is, I don't know, what's the opposite of fool's gold, the negative version of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I used to, you know, and maybe my views on this are a little skewed, you know, but but in my beat writing days, I was a beat writer in Cleveland, and the Cavs had no chance on the nights that LeBron didn't play. And we would wring our hands because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were on the team, and how can they lose all these games with two two of the big three still there? But you knew ultimately that the way they were going to play in the playoffs and the way they were going to get to a finals and win was if LeBron was there and healthy, and so. I think that's a good point. I, I definitely see your point about being, uh, you know, disappointed in the way that they were unable to close that game. Um, but again, I just look at, uh, you know, I mean, I look at things like, you know, being at the end of a long road trip in January. I mean, it was like a three or four game. I think it was a four game trip to a bunch of different cities and different time zones. Um, you know, at the end of a trip, the last team you're playing is not very good. Rudy's not out there. You know, you just there's a number of different excuses. And um, but no, make no make no mistake though. I mean, for a night in January, you're not going to watch that game and say, "Oh yeah, we're ready to go for for April." But I just I, I want to try to preach the long game approach that uh, this, that what you saw I, I suspect is not a harbinger of, of bad times to come. So, Joe, a little while ago, a few minutes back, you quoted Billy Joel, right? You did a you dropped I did. It. Okay, so looking down the line uh, a few years, do you think Donovan Mitchell will be in a New York state of mind? Nice. Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I've been in this league long enough to know not to say, not to guess on stuff like that. Um, I, I think that he's the guy, I, I think the Knicks are going to land somebody. Whether it's Zion, whether it's whether it's Donovan, I know Donovan is is uh, comfortable in Utah. He's been well received there. Um, I think it's important for them to get to a finals, you know, or, or, or win one. Um, certainly to make that next step. I mean, those are the kinds of things that stars want to see. Um, and so, what he's already he's playing on a uh, he's playing on an extension already. So he will have been in the league a long time. Yeah, I mean, that's a, like whether you're Cleveland or Milwaukee or Utah or Memphis or Charlotte. I mean, those are the markets where like you get your guys for seven years uh, or so, and then if, you know, then you you do run that risk of losing a guy. Um, and, and five years ago, that I mean, that would have sent shockwaves to the Jazz community. But now I think we've kind of all grown up to that um, to that that possibility. I think that I think that Giannis. Um, choosing to stay in Milwaukee before he saw that they were for real and that they were going to do the things that, it, it, that was necessary to win. I think that bodes well for the Jazz franchise. Um, 
you know, I mean, sort of the awkwardness between Rudy and, and Donovan, whenever that was, it's still there. I'm not quite sure, but it certainly was there. That's not great, but, I mean, winning cures a lot. And if they, if the Jazz are still clicking, hitting on all cylinders and getting to the finals and winning one, then, you know, he may want to be a guy who, who makes his career in, uh, in Salt Lake. I mean, it, I mean, it's happened before, and, and, and Donovan, I think, is interested and following in the footsteps of, of, of Carl and, and, and John. And, and so, you know, he's certainly he's got talent to, to maybe be that guy, but he and they have to win together. Yeah, I say screw New York because who needs a house out in Hackensack? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I mean, but Billy, I mean, that's right. House out in Hackensack, but he also he writes a lot about, you know, Midtown and, Living in Hell's Kitchen too, so you know there's all kinds of, of nice real estate for for a, a Donovan Mitchell or a, or a, a Zion Williams. I don't know. Yeah, look, Zion Williamson is so uh, just sort of, I mean, out of sorts with the Pelicans that he's not even rehabbing near them right now. He's, I think he's in Portland or something like that. So I think if you're ranking him as far as who's getting out of their their uh, home base sooner, I, I would put Zion ahead of Donovan for sure. Joe, the only surprise is that PK didn't start quizzing you about Uptown Girls and really try to make you uncomfortable. He could have done that, but he didn't. Before we let you go, the trade deadline is looming, and we've assessed all the top teams in the league. What are the odds that everything we said doesn't matter because Portland moves Damian Lillard or Boston decides to reset and move one of their stars and make a mega deal? Or... The Simmons deal gets done, and it's a multi-team deal, and that we see some really talented players move that change all the equations we've been talking about. I mean, I, like, I just I want to be upfront. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know that that Portland has any plans to go against what Damian Lillard has said seven hundred times mm-hmm. and trade him anyway. Um, I, I don't know that. Um, of, of the three scenarios you said, I, I would certainly put the, the Ben Simmons thing first. Um, you know, I still I don't think the Celtics need to do that. They don't need to trade one of those guys. Um, they don't need to break up their team. They need to get better around those two. Like they have two legitimate stars under contract for a long time. You don't need to move one of them. You need to do a better job filling out the rest of the roster. Um, and they just haven't. They haven't done it for for the last few years and it's not because of Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown's contract. Um, so I would, I would preach against that. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's Simmons first and then I would guess Willard second, just because it doesn't appear that the Blazers are anywhere close to doing anything as far as winning. Um, and then the Celtics thing third. And I said that and watch three weeks from now, you know, they'll trade uh, Jalen for whoever. <laughs> Well, Joe, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, all the Billy Joel talk with PK, and we will talk to you again later this season. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, there's Joe Varden from The Athletic. If you came in late as we replayed that interview, check it out wherever you get podcasts. You can hear all our interviews, anybody who's on the show, anything that's going on. If you missed the Tim Brando interview, uh, that is up. We had Ryan Smith a couple days ago, jazz owner, now RSL minority owner. If you go back further, for you golfers, Brian Taylor on uh, on the start of the PGA Tour season. So it's all out there. Wherever you get your podcasts, search for DJ and PK. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What is trending next? 
Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah Jazz. Garland outside, working, still working against O'Neal. Pulls back, pass to Kevin. Kevin now with five to shoot. Kevin baseline right. Back out to Garland. Going to have to hurry. Lob underneath to Allen. He caught it and threw it down. Garland comes away with it. Darius down the middle. On the dribble. Underneath for Love. He caught it in traffic. Turns, banked it up and good. Mobley on the right side. Pass in the lane to Stevens. On the cut. Found him. He lays it up and in. The Utah Jazz lose again. That's four in a row. Cleveland Cavaliers roll into a 111-91 win. They led the whole game. They blew it wide open in the third quarter. Joe Ingles returned briefly. Got a quick technical. Then got a second technical. Hit the road. And at that point, Jazz were down like half their rotation. And they weren't coming back, and they knew it. So there wasn't much to the second half of that game. Disappointing PK or kind of what you expected? No, I think once you knew going into that game that it was going to be very difficult, hit the road, Joe, and don't you come back no more, no more, is what you're saying. Saying it. With (laughs) with that in mind, Utah, the Cleveland Cavaliers got a massive front line, and the Jazz at 6'8", with Bogdanovich, who's nothing close to the defender, and then Joe gets himself kicked out. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah, that was the wrong game to be missing all three of your seven-footers. I mean, you only play one of them at a time, so it's not like Cleveland couldn't have done some damage and won the game anyway, but no Rudy. We'll see if he's back Sunday in Denver for their next game. No Hassan Whiteside. No Azbuke, so there you go. Malik Fitz out four weeks. Wrist injury. He'll be reevaluated. They showed him on the bench with a big old cast on that wrist, so he'll be reevaluated. He could be gone much longer than that. For the Jazz, when do they get their guys together and will it be in time for Denver on Sunday or is five coming? DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Tatum moving to his right. Blows right by Brissett. Gets to the cup and slams it home. Randall up top against Kleba. Has him backpedaling to Barrett. Right corner. Step back for three. Knocks it down to beat the shot clock. Another 30-point game at the Garden for Barrett. He's got 32. Here's Harden out of the left. Stops on a dime. Pulls up from three and drains it. That's the fifth three for Harden. He's got 25. Demetu straight away for three. He's got the bucket. Jamezi Metu, arms outstretched, backpedaling up the floor, being if mobbed by his teammates and being swept with the ovation from Kings fans. Sacramento Kings beat the Lakers in one of the most Lakerish of all Laker games. Was that game just everything everybody's been saying about the Lakers all year long right there? Laker-ish, huh? Yeah, it's the most Laker-ish of all Laker games. LeBron just determined to get the most he can out of this team, whatever it is. 34 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists. He didn't shoot the 3 well, but actually he didn't shoot free throws well either. But uh, he kept grinding. Meanwhile, you know Westbrook doesn't shoot the ball well. He gave him a 2 for 14. That's brutal. You know, the Lakers don't defend well. 40 points in the third quarter and 125 in the game. 
a lot of the storylines coming together there at the same time. Yeah, but at the same time, if this were the Jazz, we'd be quick to point out that Anthony Davis Anthony is Anthony Davis playing. is gone, right. So, this is what you were talking about. Right now, they're 500-ish. They look like they could be headed for the play-in. But if they have their whole team together in the playoffs, do you want to play them? I mean, you get to one or two and you're playing seven or eight. Do you want the Lakers if Davis is healthy? Well, if I'm in the bracket to play them, yes, I want them. Because it means you got to one or two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to run from anybody if I'm if if I if I'm worried about who I'm playing, then I'm already beat. The Dallas Mavericks trying to pull away from that group at 500, and they had gotten a, gotten a four games over, but they lost, so they dropped back to three over. Knicks hammer them 108 to 85. The Mavericks are sitting fifth in the West, five and a half games behind the Jazz right now. Portland Trailblazers have been dropping in the in the West. Already don't have C.J. McCollum. Collapsed lung. And Damian Lillard now is going to have surgery on a lingering abdominal injury. They are 4-7 and seven when he doesn't play. Without those two guys, we're really not expecting anything out of Portland. Eight games under 500 right now. If I were Portland, I'd try to lose the rest of their games so they can find a way to get a better draft pick, get some new blood in there. I think you are on to their plan. In the East, Gordon Hayward had 30. Hornets beat the 76ers 109-98. to Saw another round of stories that uh, there's no progress on moving Simmons. I know there's the uh, theory, you know, everybody needs a deadline to get stuff done. And the trade deadline is coming up. What, do you, what would you put the odds on the Simmons, uh, the Simmons deal finally getting done? Or Philly just limps along the way they are? 100%. 100% it gets done. Yeah. Because they can't limp along the way they are. when They have no leverage. Well, you have an asset there, and it's being wasted. Yes. They are fifth in the West right now, four and a half games behind the Bulls, who have the uh, top spot. Although the Bulls got crushed by the Nets, 138-112. to The Nets take down the Chicago Bulls, and the Nets are a game and a half behind the Bulls. Bulls first in the East. Nets second. But on this night, it's all about the Nets. Well, that game was on uh, after the Jazz game. It must have started. It started at 8 o'clock our time, which would have been 9 o'clock Chicago time. It seems awfully late uh, for a regular season game, but uh, especially at that time, not on, on that location, not on our side of the country. But I think the Nets, they were clearly hyped for that game. They had Irving. Now I'm hearing people say that uh, the Nets should just pay the fine for New York, uh, whatever it is. It would total, I think, $70,000 if they paid all their fines and allowed Irving to play because that was a really good game for them. They had it going on, and they just smothered the Bulls who like to think of themselves as a serious contender in the East. And yet it's Nets by 26, and 138 is an outrageous number. Locks told us, uh, was telling us all last year, can anyone stop the Nets from scoring? And it doesn't matter. They're not good at defending. They can just outscore everybody. And, man, that theory gets a big boost when you see them putting 138 points on the board. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. Utah State loses to Colorado State 77-72. The Rams have just one loss all year. Colorado State and San Diego State projected as the NCAA tournament teams out of the Mountain West Conference. Can somebody else uh, pull down a third bid in that league? Man, a win in Fort Collins would have been awesome, but the Aggies come up five points short. 
Yeah, that Gotti kid uh, for uh, CSU. That his name, man. He looked like a bull, man. He is stocky, and he had it going on. It was a fun game to watch. Sean Bearstow led the way with 20 points in the loss. Dixie State finishes the game on an 11-0 run to stun Cal Baptist, 79-76. Seattle beat UVU. UVU drops to 11-5 on the year, 2-2 in the league. BYU tonight, number two Gonzaga, late game, 9 p.m. on ESPN2. They've gone up there and pulled shockers before. This would be a shocker. Oh, yeah, for sure it would be a shocker. I mean, I just think they're big guys, speaking of Gonzaga, are going to have a field day. Yeah. Cougars taking a 14-3 record into this. This will only be their third league game. They are 2-0 right now in the West Coast Conference. Idaho's at Weber State. SUU is at Montana in the Big Sky. Those games are on ESPN+. Plus. The Gonzaga-BYU game is on ESPN2 tonight at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Close to 100%. I think I should be 100% probably by, uh, by next week. That's Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers telling reporters the toe injury has been getting better. They got the bye week in the playoffs at the top seed. They don't have to play this week. He said he hasn't needed any objections of late and uh, seemed definitive right there. So we'll have to move on to some other level of drama. Stop worrying about Aaron Rodgers' toe. I'm not worried about it. Sweet. Good work by you. Way to progress. Former Ute star Eric Weddle. He's back, baby, joining the Rams for the playoffs. Weddle is 37 years old. He retired after the 2019 season, so it's been two years, but he did start 16 games for the Rams that year. He's replacing Jordan Fuller, the starting safety, who suffered a season-ending ankle injury against the Niners last Sunday. This one caught me off guard. I got to admit, I was surprised, PK. 37-year-old defensive backs? And has he been lifting and running and staying in shape, waiting for this for two years? Seems highly unusual. But it's the playoffs, it's high stakes, and... Apparently, he's going to be ready to go. No, they only need him for a month. Yeah. Is he ready to start running sprints against some big, fast, highly motivated guys? Monday Night Football, Cardinals and Rams, the sixth of the six playoff games this weekend. What will be on full display? Chicago Bears interviewed former Philadelphia Eagles coach Doug Peterson yesterday as they start their search for a new head coach to replace the fired Mad Nagy. Now, how unusual is it to have a Super Bowl winning coach sitting out on the sidelines? Not by his choice. I don't know. I can't can't recall. That's where you come in. Yeah, I don't recall either. It has been... Well, it's been a while. I mean, Parcells did it. Right, but wasn't that his choice that he would step away? Not somebody walk in and saying, "You're fired." Uh, wasn't it one in Boston? Was it with the Patriots about having control? So uh, yeah, at least partially his choice, if not entirely. So yeah, I get your point. DJ and PK. Hashtag College Football. Utah linebacker Devin Lloyd made it official. He declared for the NFL draft. Consensus All-American, 110 tackles, 22 tackles for loss, a pick six in the conference title game. 
PK, when this news came out, it was almost like, oh, yeah, he hadn't made that official yet. But mentally, we had all checked that box. Devin Lloyd, NFL. He's gone. Yeah, I didn't know that he needed to make it official because in my mind, he absolutely was going to be gone. Kyle said that he heard he was going to be a uh, top uh, half of the first round. Somebody's going to get a ready-made player. He's going to be able to step in and play. He's he's just a very good player. He, He accomplished everything he could have possibly accomplished in college for sure. Yep. Top half of the first round. That'll be a good payday for him right out of the gate. Probably yeah. a bad team. Hopefully he'll get a team that's uh, bad but just missing a couple pieces and get him onto a good team. Because we remember Van Oy, similar situation. Ready-made player. Uh, we all had high expectations for him. Not this high, probably. <laughs> but still, uh, we thought he'd be good. He went to Detroit, and it just didn't go anywhere at all because he's on a bad team. As soon as he got to a good organization, took off, flourished, he was the guy. Uh, yeah, he was hurt, too, the first uh, half of the season. So, actually, I expected Van Noy to do what he's doing. I thought he was a big-time player. Right. And it's the same thing with Van Noy. Or, uh, Devin Lloyd. Lloyd. You think he's a big-time player? Yeah. I do. Yeah. Quinton Ganther got the tie to the U program. Kyle likes guys with ties to the program. So, the U's have a new running back coach. He's a former U running back. Yeah, he's been around a little bit, coached uh, at Weber, yep. and so was has an opportunity to jump back in. I'm sure he's ecstatic, and, you know, they need somebody to recruit and sell the program, and he bought what they tried to sell way back when, and Kyle, get him going on that hit that he laid on Dustin Gabriel there. <laughs> oh, yeah, that video was out. <laughs> He just absolutely loves that play. He loves that toughness. That just screams Kyle, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I, You know, I don't remember the because it was a long time ago, but it's not like I saw him, like, right after the game. Like, there is a split, and he wanted to talk about that play. Hey, did you see that? Well, of course I saw it. How could you miss it? That was a spectacular hit. Big Ten released its revised 2022 football schedule on Wednesday. They added a pair of cross-divisional games to avoid matchup between teams for a third consecutive season after the pandemic-altered 2020 season caused some jumbling and shuffling of the conference games when they only played eight games each. So, tweaking. The tweaking still going on, but the Big Ten schedule is out. And I think the news on this side of the country is when does the Big Ten release a schedule that has eight conference games instead of nine? Because clearly... Pac-12's new commissioner, Klyovkov, can't wait for that to happen and can't wait for the Pac-12 to schedule non-conference games with the Big Ten routinely. Okay, but then they have to go to eight also. Right. They do, and that's not happening. (laughs) Not yet, anyway. Oh, I think it is happening. When do you think it'll happen? How far out do you think that is? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, the the Pac-12 will go to eight. Oh, yeah, the the day that the Big Ten announces it an hour later, the Pac-12 will make an announcement. I think they've already decided, and they're just waiting. Yeah, and then they're going to go with that thing he's talked about. Right. I, mean, I don't think he's made any secret about it. No, no, he wants it to happen. He's openly rooting for it. Yeah, he didn't want to call the. He's always careful not to call the Big Ten out, but he is. He is ready. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Right. You do it. We'll do it. We'll play. Let's go. Yeah. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, we're going to talk NFL playoffs with Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He's going to join us coming up at 730. Ken Pomeroy, college basketball expert, 
expert, owner of KenPalm.com at 8.30. And Joe Ingalls will be joining us tomorrow. So look forward to that. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Question of the day coming up. is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. I think the Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers are the two really good teams. In fact, I'm probably changing my Super Bowl pick to mirror what uh, Sam Farnsworth from KSL. That's his pick. I'm probably going to copy that pick now. Never going to pick slash root for the Chiefs. You don't have to pick. You don't have to root for him, but you can pick him. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Here, Jake Scott and Ben Anderson every day from 10 to noon on 97.5 1280 The Zone powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hot Takes Your Toast is brought to you by Zero Res, the only carpet cleaner for a smart, lasting clean. Zero Res's patented process uses only water to clean, meaning no crunchy carpets and a spot-free carpet that's safe for the whole family. Schedule your carpet today. Carpet cleaning today. Schedule your carpet today. Hey, carpet, I need you today. Schedule your carpet cleaning today by calling 801-288-9376 or book online at ZeroResSaltLake.com. If you're up north, it's ZeroResDavisWeber.com. You need not be necessary to win. Exactly. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone turns around, looks at the press box. I love that story because I have sat at the top of a grandstand and had people turn around and talk and look at me like, what was that? Nothing. Never mind. Turn around and watch the game. Carry on. Well, at least they're paying attention. Yeah, they were. I was annoying them to death. All right. The uh, fourth straight lay- loss drops the Jazz into fourth place in the West. What? Do two what to do. <laughs> you had one too. Good one. <laughs> it was late. Yeah, I believe it. I did the game last night. Oh, you did? Yeah. Ooh, look at you go. Well, I thought you got outstanding answers to this question. I would grade this as an A+. Our listeners came through with tremendous answers. There was very little whining. Eh, a little whining's fine. But very little of it. And a lot of uh, creative answers. Some serious some funny, uh, some cheap-shotting other people with bad opinions. This is a nice mix. I was very impressed. But not an A++++++ like nah, that you got on his theme? Nah, you got the A+, plus, you're good. <laughs> USA Today gave Utah State an A-plus on their football season. One win to a conference championship. A bowl win, two wins over the Pac-12, yeah. Give it, yeah, absolutely. That was a great year. Nobody, nobody predicted 11 wins. Nobody predicted the conference title, and they got them. So some of the answers I liked, uh, Thomas takes a different spin. He says it's actually a little encouraging. The last few years, we've had great runs in January, and that sets us up for disappointment later. Maybe change is good. Thomas, talking himself into anything. But there has been a disconnect between January and June for the Jazz for a couple of years now, so why couldn't the disconnect work the other way? Well, well, what does that have to do with this year, though? Uh, There's no guarantee it has anything to do with this year. I mean, they could go out in the first or second round again. There's no guarantee. But he's not going to obsess about January results because they don't accurately predict May and June anyway. They had the best record in the NBA last year, but it didn't lead to a championship. And actually, there are people who spell that out uh, even uh, more uh, succinctly. Uh, they're buried down here. But yeah, but that doesn't make any sense to me. So play why? poorly, and somehow that's going to be better? That's your goal then? 
because no. we didn't play. We didn't win no, at I don't all. Think it's and a we goal. played well in January, so let's play crappy in January this year. There's no correlation, is what I'm saying. Zero. So because they're not playing well, though, will there be more attention to improving between now and then as opposed to, hey, you won, and that was great, and it got everybody's expectations up, but you didn't improve to the point you could win the championship. And are they going to keep improving because now the, the pressure is on? This feels bad. What does a fan's expectation have anything to do with the ball club, though? There's not a direct connection there. No, it would be indirect. Will the team keep improving because the team knows it's not good enough right now? You're right. It is indirect. It would have to be indirect. Benjamin might have grown up in New Jersey at some point. If he's lucky. Fourth straight loss, drops the Jazz in fourth place. What to do, what to do. He says, make fun of people who said Rudy was overpaid with this last contract. Nice. Ignore the basketball. Let's just find some fans and go at them. Everybody's overpaid. Okay, well, sure. But by NBA standards. And I think virtually everybody in the NBA is overpaid, except for maybe three or four guys. LeBron, because he's on network TV driving that contract for everybody. Of course. (laughs) Yes. Before him, Jordan, because he was on network TV driving that contract for everybody. Of course, yeah. Yeah. What is your oh, go ahead. What's your value relative to winning? Gobert's is very high. And for people who are not clear on that, they ought to be now. Fritz goes with a very simple and straightforward, get healthy, dot, dot, dot. Don't panic. I want to go back to the Rudy thing. Oh, Jake, and I, Jake and I were talking about this last night on the post game. Somebody asked him a question or asked uh, Donovan a question about that, right? And basically, I think that's insulting. You needed losses to figure out Gobert's value. I think by asking that question, you doubted Gobert's value. It is an absolute given his value to winning. It is extremely high. By even broaching the subject – means you didn't necessarily believe in it. Now, not necessarily the guy who asked the question. I'm not talking about the media member because I think he was trying to make a point. I that, know yeah. the answer to this question, but nobody yeah. wants to hear it from me. They want to hear it from Donovan Mitchell. So Precisely. I have to ask the question. I've been, I've been in yeah. that role before and been jumped by it. I'm like, I know the answer. Right, right, right. They we, want to hear it from you. Yeah, most of the time. And so I don't remember. It was somebody from the, the Tribune. Whoever asked the question, he knew the answer, but exactly. He wanted Donovan to say it. That's why he asked the question. Most of the time, having been in the business for 30-plus years, when we ask questions, we know the answers, but we want the newsmakers to say it. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We will have more on the jazz coming up in the next segment. But right now, it's time to talk NFL playoffs. Right now, it's time to welcome in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. Lincoln, good morning. DJ PK, Happy New Year's to you. I, I don't know if we talked last week. I don't think we did. Jake said we didn't. But um, Happy New Year's to you guys, uh, and it's good to be with you. How are you doing? It is good to have you back, and I couldn't help but think of you watching the Raiders and Chargers 
It was not a perfect game. It was a struggle. <laughs> but those often make for entertaining games, and that game was nothing if not wildly entertaining. The most surprising thing that happened in that game. What well, I tell you what, other than me running out of nitroglycerin pills because <laughs> I was having a heart attack almost every other play, um, <laughs> the, the, the biggest thing that came out was the, the fact that in the past, those types of games, the Raiders have found a way to lose. This season, the Raiders have found a way to win. Um, and it's a total team effort. Um, I've been critical of Derek Carr pretty much his entire career. Uh, and, and this time, I, I noticed uh, it, it really came out. I, I kind of noticed it in other games, but it really came out in this game. In fact, this is, this is a decent team now. Uh, and, I, and I say that wholeheartedly, team. It's not just an offense. It's a decent team. Um, the fact that the offense has got a little bit of running game, Derek Carr has not had to throw over 300 yards to win these games the past, uh, over the past month. Uh, and the defense has showed up along with the special teams. It's, it's a, it, it really is a team that's holding every other facet about it accountable. Hey Lincoln, it's exactly what I want to ask you right off the bat. A number of comeback wins this year. This has been a it's been a crazy season for yeah. the Raiders. Obviously, with off the field stuff and with Gruden all the all the junk that's been going on. But when they get out there, they find a way to pull a rabbit out of a hat, almost right. so to speak. And I'm wondering, does that actually build more confidence in your team, knowing hey, it doesn't really matter the situation. We know we can do this because we've been doing this all season. Without having the privilege of being in the locker room and playing with these guys, I have to say yes from the outside in, mainly because when you look at it, all the things that have stacked up, you talked about the off-the-field issues, I've never dealt with or I've never been a part of anything like that. You know, I, when, uh, I played 12 years. I, didn't, I never had a coach that left in the middle of the season or was gone in the middle of the season or beginning of the season, but I always knew, you know, there's coaches that weren't going to be coming back the following year. I never had players, you know, arrested for DUIs and no longer on the team, uh, as starters, as a matter of fact, um, and though we've had our fair share of uh, of off-the-field incidents, and more importantly, you know, the transition uh, from uh, Oakland to Las Vegas on top of a national pandemic that is affecting every single team in every part of our country. I've never been a part of all the off-the-field issues that one could probably make excuses for and say, well, this is why we couldn't win, or this is what happened, or, or whatever it is. Um, when you look at this team, uh, it's very impressive to see their their level of resolve and their ability to stay in it. Uh, you know, Max Crosby on Sunday night had an unbelievable game. I mean, a really a standout game. He was a difference maker. He was effective and an impact player on, on almost every offensive play. However, you still had the Chargers that had in one drive, I think they had six fourth downs where they converted. That's never happened before. And as a broadcaster, I'm sitting there, I'm stunned. My mouth is wide open. I've, I've never seen this before. You hold somebody for three downs, and all of a sudden, the fourth down, they find a way to get the first down. But you also have to tip your hat to the Chargers because, like, look, those guys get paid too, and they're going to be a, a force to reckon with in the future. Um, all that being said, it was a tremendous season with the NFL adding their 17th game to the regular season and adding you know, another sort of layer, if you will, to the playoffs. It came down to the final game of the regular season on national TV. As a, as a sports fan, I don't know if you can if you can write a better script. To be honest with you, because there were there were there were two spots that were left. Pittsburgh Steelers were laying in the, in in, in uh, the corner waiting, and I honestly believe, guys, when it comes to that Charger game, the Raiders were perfectly content with just letting the clock run out and taking the tie. 
sending both teams to the to the playoffs until so Brandon Staley called that uh, called that uh, timeout, forced the Raiders to have to run a play, and then all of a sudden, out of ex- execution, Josh Jacobs was able to slip the line of scrimmage, get the first down, and now you're in field goal position. So you're going to kick the field goal to win the football game. The Chargers converted a lot of fourth downs, as you mentioned, and it was wildly entertaining. But the one they didn't convert earlier in the game, fourth and one, inside their own 20, at their own 18-yard line. Did you almost fall out of the broadcast booth down into the crowd below when they snapped the ball? Because I know on TV the broadcast crew was thinking, well, they must be drawing them offside, trying to. And then they sneaked You know, um, there were two things about that. I'm not surprised that they called that play because the head coach has been sort of arrogant or, you know, however you want to say, conceited about fourth downs, yeah. approaching fourth downs pretty much all season, mm-hmm. almost to a fault. There were a lot of people who thought that he lost the Kansas City game by not kicking the field goals and taking the nine points that he left off the board uh, by going for fourth downs and not getting them. Uh, so it is what it is. We kind of knew going in that he was a little bit of a riverboat gambler uh, and that he was going to take that on, on, on the chin. Uh, but I was more surprised what the play called. Look, Austin Eckler to me is a good football back, a good running back. His strength is not running between the tackles. His strength is running outside. His strength is, you know, getting the ball in, in, uh, in, in the flats, you know, whether it's uh, screens or, or, or flare passes or stuff like that. It's not inside. But I would give the credit to, to, to Darius Phylon, the, uh, the defensive tackle who unfortunately was lost uh, to injury uh, for the rest of the season, who used to play for the Chargers. He made a great play as a three technique, a defensive tackle, where he went around the, the, the left guard and got in the backfield and tackled Austin Eckler the moment he got the football. So there was no way he could get that first down. So I, I, I kind of deem it more as a good play by Darius Phylon and the Raiders' defense than it was in, in, in that play by the Chargers' offense. Has Saatchi done enough in your mind, or are they still going to go outside? One more time. Saatchi, did he do enough to keep the job, or are they still going to look outside? You know, I, I plan on having a very in-depth conversation with Mark Davis, who I have a good relationship with at the end of the season. I think Basachi has done enough for the good, to, to keep this job. There are some things that, that need to change. Um, but I honestly think that Basachi has done a good enough job to keep this uh, to keep his job. And more importantly, I'm a little bit more excited about special teams guys having a head coach position. If you look at sort of the trend that's going around the NFL, whether you're an offensive or defensive-minded guy, I think that kind of takes away from managing the game. Um, and, and, and look, by the, by, by the letter of the law, managing a football game is a talent and an art that's all its own. It's not that simple. A lot of people just think, well, you know, go for it on fourth down. Or No, you've you got to be able to understand the flow, the emotion, uh, uh, where you are, the momentum, uh, if, if you will, for a football game. And when you're an offensive or defensive-minded coach, I think a lot of times you're more fixated on that side of the ball. So I say that to say this. I think you, know, you look at guys at Harbaugh in Baltimore, you look at guys like Tomlin in Pittsburgh, special teams guys that allow their offensive defense coordinators to do their jobs, but they're managing the football game. And I think that's really a, a, a lost art, if you ask me. So the short answer or the long answer to your question is I do think Versace earned, earned the job. The Bengals haven't won a playoff game since the 1990 season, the 91 playoffs. They beat the Oilers, and the Oilers moved to Tennessee. We don't even have the Oilers anymore. That brand is gone, <laughs> which is too bad because that was a great brand. Yeah, the was. Raiders haven't won a playoff game since they beat the Titans – a.k.a. the Oilers, uh, in the AFC title game in 2002. 
Now, the Bengals have been to the playoffs. The Raiders have played one playoff game since then. As you point out, you know, they got guys coming in from other teams, so that can bring some playoff experience to it. But two teams with so little success, how does that figure in? What does that matter? Who do you trust the most when you don't have any recent experience to trust anybody? Well, you, you know, you just you just dated me because the Raiders haven't won a playoff game since I played, which was two decades ago. <laughs> so you, you just dated me. I was on that team that beat the AFC Titans, uh, beat the Titans for the AFC Championship, and ended up going to Super Bowl. So yes, I, I remember it vividly. You know, when you talk about the for the Raiders, the the 2016 season, Derek Carr was on pace, in my opinion, to have an MVP caliber type of year until his ankle was broken. They ended up going to the playoffs to play the Texans with a rookie quarterback, which is the first time that ever happened in the playoffs. So you're right. As, as this roster sits right now for the Raiders, there were only two players that were on that team the last time they went into the playoffs, Jalen Richard and Derek Carr. That's it. Everyone else is brand new. Now, there have been other guys that have had playoff experience, Super Bowl experience at KJ Wright with Seattle and stuff like that. But it doesn't necessarily carry over to where the Raiders' momentum is. So I think that kind of affects them when you talk about this game. Uh, for the Bengals, pretty much it's a really, really similar situation, and even a lot more, just brand new team. But you know, it, it's one. Of, it's what provides for maybe a, a possibly entertaining and exciting game because the Bengals throughout this season have got their offense started. They're, they're, they've been able to air out the ball. Joe Burrow is having a, a tremendous year. He's got tremendous support from wide receivers. And this Bengals team's beat the snot out of the Raiders, and I think it was week 11, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, the, the, the Raiders have got a little bit of a um, – sort of an experience of playing this team and seeing this team up close. And the Bengals have got you know their work cut out for them. But they're division winners, so they get a chance to host a football game. So it should make for an exciting wild card. Anything could happen. I think the momentum of both these teams, um, and, and more so the Raiders and the Bengals, because I've never liked backing into the playoffs, but I understand why Cincinnati uh, sat a lot of their starters for the Cleveland game um, and, and just you know came in with a loss. I think they feel comfortable with what they have. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because weather will be an issue. Um, whether it's snowing or it's just downright cold, it's going to be blistery one way or the other out there. Um, and the Raiders aren't necessarily familiar with playing in that type of cold, playing in Allegiant Stadium, and, and more importantly, get the benefit of the doubt on the road games that they had this year. Uh, and, and whether or not Cincinnati is, is ready to really handle those. So it should be a very entertaining wildcard game. You think Burrow is on the verge of being really, really big team, big time? I mean, super elite because he's got the stats that would look like it, but he doesn't have the experience in the postseason. Well, that's that's where it's going to come. I mean, that's where it's going to come up, and this is his first opportunity at that. Uh, I already think Joe Burrow is considered one of the elite quarterbacks by a lot of people around the league. Just doesn't have the wins to support it. Now, when you talk about elite, you're talking about Aaron Rodgers who's got a Super Bowl win, or Tom Brady who's got several Super Bowl wins, and that's sort of what's gauged as far as a quarterback. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, the same thing. Um, he's not there yet, but this is his first opportunity to maybe start that journey to be that. So at least he's got a little more experience in the league. I'm looking at New England trying to ride a rookie quarterback in the playoffs and thinking Jalen Hurts with Philadelphia and then the situation New England finds themselves in with Mac Jones. Like those are the two teams to absolutely pick against. You buying that? No, not necessarily, because the difference is going to come down to coaching. It's the difference maker in Bill Belichick. You know, Belichick has had a... Uh, a, a tradition, if you will, or a history of 
taking away what opposing offenses have done well. Mac Jones has been able to play within his own self. Not necessarily have to to, to, to be that you know that goal getter that does a lot. You know, Bill Belichick is supported with a defense and a good team, um, but but Mac Jones has made those critical throws or those those throws that needed to be made at, at the right time. I think he plays within himself. Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. I, you know, I, I think they're they're on borrowed time. I didn't think they were a playoff bound team, even though they found themselves in the playoffs. But I still think they've got some ways to go. But the thing is, is that they're good. They're for for winning football games is a good old-fashioned formula that carries over this time of year. They're able to run the ball. If they're able to run the ball, if the team is able to run the ball, you're able to have success. And that's what the Philadelphia Eagles have had the pleasure of having. Momentum, Lincoln, can be fickle at any level. And you got some teams that are storming in the playoffs, other teams like Arizona, maybe even the Rams with their disappointing loss last week. Not that they're backing into it, but they don't really have the momentum. How much do you believe in momentum playing well at the end of the season, being able to carry over? 100%, because I think momentum builds confidence. I think if you go into the playoffs and you sit there and create excuses of why you weren't able to win or you, the way that you got there, I think it kind of affects your, your overall sort of a, a, a draw for the game as a team, collectively as a team. If you're able to win, you're confident. Win, winning builds confidence. That's why I've always said even in preseason, it doesn't matter when the wins or losses, but wins build confidence. You're able to better coach off of a win than you can off of, off of a loss on this, on this level. And more importantly, players who look at themselves looking forward going forward are more ecstatic more happy to coming off of a win rather than coming into off, off of a loss the Rams and the Cowboys are both 12 and five which is right. a, a pretty good record but I don't think the public really trusts either team uh, the Cowboys in part because they beat up on a really bad division went six and0 there and went six and five against everybody else and then to PK's point the Rams just when you want to trust him you watch him you're like oh what was that that was painful. And blowing a 17-point lead. Which team do you trust less, the Cowboys and the Rams? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, boy. You know what? It, 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 to me, and to be honest, guys, and, and I'm not just trying to wiggle out the question, I, I think it's pretty even. Matthew Stafford tends to throw a lot of interceptions in the <laughs> yeah. situation he did towards the tail end of the season. The Cowboys really don't have a running game without you know Tony Pollard. Um, you know they, they keep relying on Ezekiel Elliott, who's not getting it done for some reason, and they're beat up with offensive line issues. However, the, both teams, the Rams and the Cowboys' defense, can be impact makers. They have the players to be impact makers. If it wasn't for COVID, I think things would be a lot different, especially for the Cowboys. I, I think they're pretty much even. I wouldn't be surprised to see either of them out. However, I will say this: I did make a little side bet earlier this year that once. The Rams got Matthew Stafford. They would be an NFC Championship. So I do got a little bit of money waiting <laughs> for you know Stafford and the Rams to get to the NFC Championship. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> do you have the uh, Packers as the clear favorite in the NFC? Then no, I didn't choose that. The only the only sort of uh, what prop bet I chose was the fact that the Rams were going to be in the NFC Championship. And I thought wholeheartedly once they got Matthew Stafford, they got the quarterback that put him over the top. I didn't expect all the other injuries and all the other intangibles to come into play, but, you know, it is what it is. The only thing about Stafford, you mentioned those interceptions. I looked it up, and I was surprised to see that he tied with Trevor Lawrence for the most interceptions in the NFL with 17. I I think we all knew Lawrence threw a lot of interceptions, and partly that's him, and partly that's the coaching situation, the chaos, and the lack of talent all added up. But for Stafford to pull up alongside of him, that, that caught me off guard. 
Yeah, you know, for Stafford, in a lot of his interceptions, it's just that the only way that I can analyze and assess it is the fact that he didn't see the whole field. There were times, I think in the, even in the last game, where he threw kind of blindly to a point and didn't see linebackers or defenders sitting right there. I mean, in the Ravens game, it was a pick six right off the back because there was a linebacker sitting right there. I was like, how do you not see him? Um, uh, and, but, but for Stafford, a lot of times it wasn't just seeing the whole field. It was just going with, with an initial instinct, tossing the ball to a point, and they had a fault. Black Monday hit. We saw the coaching changes. You know, I get it. It's part of the business. The only one I didn't really understand that much was Miami. What are your thoughts? It's there were certain rumors circulating around the fact that Harbaugh was available, and the owner of Miami I dropped his name right off the top of my as affiliation with Michigan. Went to Michigan. He's a Michigan man, and he was going to make a play for Harbaugh. This is reminiscent to me. Uh, reminds me, I should say, of what um, Mark Davis did back in the day with Del Rio and Gruden. Um, the moment that he found Gruden was available, he decided you know clean house. And of course, Del Rio had already lost the team at that point but um, it was a little bit different situation than Miami, but uh, he, he wanted to make way for Gruden. Uh, this is that, that sort of, that, that, that kind of reminds me of, of the same thing, situation in Miami. Well, Lincoln, as always, we appreciate it. Get some more uh, nitroglycerin and uh, don't fall yeah, out of the I'm, press I'm, box. I got my, my uh, prescription called in for Walgreens. I'm waiting for them to call me back and say it's good to go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, kids have never let me down so far. So. <laughs> 36 and snow is the forecast for Cincinnati on Sunday. Oh, so that's, that's balmy right that's, there for Cincinnati. Queen exactly. City, 36 degrees. Oh, great. I hope, the, I, hope the, I hope the press box or the, or the, the broadcast booth is closed off. Right. And no wind. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Lincoln. We appreciate it. Enjoy the playoff thanks, game. Be well. Talk to you soon. All right. Lincoln Kennedy, he's our radio Raider radio analyst, part of the Raider Radio Network. Say that three times fast. And you'll hear that game right here on the uh, on the zone this weekend. All right, DJ and PK. We got Ken Pomeroy, college basketball expert, founder of KenPom.com. We'll talk college basketball with him coming up at 8.30. We got more reaction to the Jazz and a four-game losing streak, and we will get to that next. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. Joining us now, David Cantor, agent for Eric Weddle. Of all the players I've represented, I've probably represented 2,000 guys in the last 26 years. He was the most comfortable post-life of any guy I've ever represented. I can't stress this enough. He's never once said, hey, reach out to Sean and, and see what the Rams think. It was none of that. This was not initiated by us. This was not a desirous thing. Like, oh, man, I'd love to get a chance to win a ring again. Maybe we should sniff around some of the playoff teams. I did none of that. This is Eric Weddle loving his teammates, has unbelievable relationships. This is for the love of the game. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Built Bar. Whether it's double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, cherry barcia, or salted caramel. Enjoy a Built Bar. 100% real chocolate. 100% real delicious. Order yours today at Built.com and save 10% off your order using the promo code ZONE at checkout. That's Built Bar. Question of the morning. The Jazz have lost four straight games. They have dropped into fourth place in the West. What to do? What to do? You know, that what to do is to take off on one of Donovan Mitchell's commercials 
what to do, what to do. <laughs> Fritz keeps it simple. Get healthy, dot, dot, dot. Don't panic. No complicated messages from Fritz right there. Okay, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's a big difference. Jacob says, stop caring so much about the regular season and focus on the postseason. We can't help but connect the two. You watch a team lose four in a row, you think this team doesn't look like a title team. Of course, they don't have their guys. Especially Rudy. Other guys hurt, too. Mitchell made an excellent point in his postgame. I like what he said when he said, you know, if we could have just won the games that were winnable here uh, with uh, the Pacers and the Pistons, it wouldn't be any big deal. Yep. And he's right. He's spot on. Yeah. Because then we were saying, oh, Toronto, come on. We get it. You didn't want to take your guys into the country with all the things going on, blah, blah, blah. And then playing Cleveland, which is a nice young emerging team, and they've got big guys. You literally didn't have any big guys. So, yeah, we get it. So if they could have done that, but they didn't do that, particularly that Detroit game. That Detroit game still sticks with me because you had a 22-point lead, and you allowed them to score almost 80 points in the second half. I mean, it's just completely and totally unacceptable. So they didn't get it done, and now we're at four here, and they got three days off until they get the Nuggets. You don't want to go crazy, but at the same time, you know, your health is really not impacting what the situation with the Grizzlies is. You know, they're doing their thing, and they've passed you because they're really good, and they're in a great streak. They've won 10 in a row. And when you look at it, though, if you take a step back and try to find perspective, which I think you have to do during the course of a long season – We've seen two things in the span of five days that I know for me, I've never seen with the Jazz since I've been following intensely for almost 30 years. And I don't know that I'll ever see it again in the next 30 years. I'm not going to live 30 years probably. But think about it. They go to Toronto and, and have a G League team out there. Then they come home and there was a game in between. But then they come home and they have no big guys. Zero. None. For a model franchise that has been as stable as stable can be, think about it. Two things in the span of five days that we've never seen, and we may, I mean, this is a crazy season, so maybe we'll see it in two weeks, who knows. But but beyond that, man, we've never seen any of this stuff ever. So you do have to roll with it to a good extent. The only thing I can think of that compares to Toronto, and it isn't a perfect fit, but it's the closest thing I've got, is that they were running out some G League-ish rosters the year after Stockton and Malone, and somehow Sloan, you know, conjured up a 500 team. Uh, some of those teams late, some of those games late in the year, they were bringing in guys that never heard of and still somehow winning. And I don't know that those teams were as depleted as the team they ran out in Toronto. Hey, they had Ben Handlogged in, man. What I knew are you that was the about? name. I knew that was the name that would come up. That was they the... had a 6'11 guy, right? I mean, they didn't have any height against the Cavs. That's true. That's true. They got hit very hard at the center position. Uh, in the middle of all that, uh, Yuck just informed me we're getting Joe Ingles today after all. Joe's got something better to do on Friday, so he's going to knock the interview out today. 9 a.m. for Joe Ingles. And I know for multiple reasons, a lot of you want to hear from Joe Ingles today. So, Joe in one hour, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Stay with us. 
DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. It's a new year and time for a new you. Davis Vision can help you ditch those glasses or contacts with LASIK. Schedule your free consultation today and save $1,000. Call Robin today at 801-253-3080 or visit davisvisionmd.com and make sure you tell them the zone sent you. Got two questions of the day and they're tied together. Fourth straight loss drops the Jazz into fourth place. What to do, what to do. And Tony says, here's what to do. D-Wade 10-day. <laughs> I think uh, Dwayne Wade would wave that one off. But that does lead us to the second question. Dwayne Wade says the younger generation is going to forget about Jordan like we forgot about Kareem. Do you agree? Jordan's hit pause on that, PK. It's going to happen, but he's hit pause on it. And he's hit pause on that for two reasons. He's not going to be forgotten as quickly as Kareem. But I think he is going to be, he's definitely going to get pushed to the, to the back of the shelf. I, I think that is, uh, I think that's spot on. Two things have slowed it down, though. One, commercially, he is so wildly successful. And the Air Jordans are still out there, and the Jumpman logo is everywhere. And the partnership with Nike keeps him front and center in a way that Kareem didn't get to stay front and center in the 90s and 2000s. And I also think for a whole generation of sports fans, that 10-part documentary, brilliant. If people could see some of the stories and the games and the rivalries from Kareem's time, it would have kept all of that alive, and people would be aware how good he was. Ten hours of documenting your life, your career, and especially one really dramatic season. I think Donovan Mitchell's a great example because Donovan's so out there on social media, at his age, there's no chance he's got memories of living through those three peats. The uh, first three peat, he wasn't even born. And I think we can all look back at names we've read or seen on lists. That guy must have been good, but I don't have any memory because he's before my time. And who that player is just depends on how old you are. And so Kareem's now on lists, and people have no memory of him. And you talk greatest center, and you go right to Shaq. Will it happen to Jordan? Yes. And Aaron points out in the comments, well, they've already had this LeBron is the GOAT nonsense for years. Right, but if 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 you didn't see MJ and you did see LeBron, I get why you would say this about LeBron. Because he's dominated for a long period of time the way Jordan did. Jordan was in the national consciousness for a decade and a half. And LeBron's moved past a decade and a half. Jordan won the NCAA title as a freshman. He won Olympic gold. He turned pro and started right in on the scoring titles. And had big games and went right at Bird and the Celtics. But if Kareem can get pushed to the back of the shelf, then anybody can. And, and I think you can go before Kareem and say, hey, Bill Russell isn't fully appreciated. Again, some of us didn't see Bill Russell play. But he won 11 championships. I know the league was smaller, but as Russell likes to point out, well, all the best players were in the league. They let, when they expanded the league, they let in more players, the guys who couldn't make the league when it was smaller. 
I beat the best. Okay. Uh, you still haven't mentioned the greatest statistical player of all time, and that's Will Chamberlain. Another guy pushed to the back. No one's even come close to him. No one. The stuff that he did, nobody has even gotten anywhere near what he's done. Can you imagine? Literally nothing. Can you imagine if somebody averaged 50 points right now in a season? With social media, people would be going nuts. Yeah, obviously. And I'm not even sure that was his best season. Uh, when he, when he was uh, when he was uh, 31, he averaged 24 points, 23 or oh, 24 rebounds, 23.8. So 24, he was 24, 24. Oh, and let's see, in an era where shooting wasn't as prominent and as good, he averaged 8.6 assists. Get out of town. <laughs> and he played Get out 40, of town. He played 47 minutes a game. He played what? Uh, how many? I think he played uh, 14, 15 seasons. And at not once did he ever play under, under 42 minutes a game on an average. Not, not, not once. He averaged 45 and a half minutes a game. <laughs> <laughs> so I never understood. If we're going to talk the best player, I mean, Jordan is a product of the now generation. Now, it wasn't now. It isn't now then, but it was now then, right, in the 90s. And so he got a ton of run, and he had all sorts of charisma and all that stuff. We get it. Uh, but you brought up Russell, and that's great. And I disagree. All the best players did not play in the league. We have no idea who was good enough to play. They weren't scouting overseas the way they were. Uh, There could have been somebody. It could have been one person in Europe who was better and uh, belonged to the NBA, but he didn't. But nevertheless, that takes away from nothing he did. Because when you win in college, you win in the Olympics, and you win in the pros – you're a winner. <laughs> so I mean, I'm not here to degrade what Bill Russell did in the least. There's just zero question about that. But statistically, I don't see how you do not point to Chamberlain as the dominant, overwhelming. I mean, and really, you talk about we make fun of it. It's not even close. Let's see. As it's tw- not I- even close. His rookie year, oh, let's just start off with 37 and a half points and 27 boards. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty decent. <laughs> Welcome to the NBA. At 20, and he was 23, so back then rookies were a little older, obviously. It seems so archaic to think that Abdul-Jabbar played four years of college. What a waste of time uh, as far as that goes. Now, maybe as a personal development, it was an awesome time. But professionally, he did not need to play four years of college. But those were the situations back then. So I think everybody gets left behind on the newest, latest, greatest thing. 
And I was just reading, well, there's some kid uh, out of Atlanta. I think his, first, his last name is Henderson. He's 17 years old, and he's playing in the G League thing uh, so he can get done with it and get onto the NBA. And they gave up, I think, his last year in high school. And they said, well, he would be in the NBA now, but they got the age restriction. Mm-hmm. So he is, you never know because a few years back, we were uh, force-fed – uh, Jabari Parker is going to be the n- next greatest thing. And maybe he could have been better than he was, but obviously he's been devastated by injuries. So to a degree that's unfair on him. I don't know if he had the athleticism to be that type of player, but you know, cover of sports illustrated, all that stuff. So there's always somebody new. It's the nature of the world. There's always something new coming along and you can go across the board. Right. And so in basketball too, we do this and who's it going to be. And LeBron deserves to be in any, conversation as far as I'm concerned but when you look at it and you go and Dwayne Wade I take his point and I and I buy it 100% because really Kareem can look back and say well what did Jordan do that I didn't do (laughs) you know what I mean there's really nothing that he didn't do that supersedes what Abdul Jabbar did Uh, but yet we look at Jordan oh he's just automatically the greatest player of the game I step back and say uh, is he? I don't know that he necessarily is. It certainly isn't, in my mind, a slam dunk. But that's the way we are, whatever's the latest. Jake Scott, and I love Jake Scott, and he has the dumbest take of all time. <laughs> Comma, with, but he has the, the dumbest take of all time. The Beatles are overrated. Oh, yeah, that is a terrible take. Except however, they're not. However, that did lead to several holes worth of laughs the last time we golfed you had the music on the cart you cranked the Beatles up you were lighting Jake up Gordon was laughing it was hilarious yeah it's just uh, 60 years later and they Disney Plus just released all these uh, videos on them and everybody's on, flocking to it just yeah flocking to it right I freaking ordered Disney Plus so I can order so I can watch it I didn't have Disney Plus that's why they did and, it and I found out I had to update my Xfinity, my Comcast box in order to be able to get it. And my daughter says, oh, it's no sweat. Eh, we can do it. So, okay, order the box. The box comes. I open it up. Uh, sweetie, you need to come over. <laughs> <laughs> it's no sweat for you. I'm definitely going to perspire. So she spent Just about... Just call me well, next time, PK. I got well, you. She spent the Monday at our house figuring it out while I was upstairs watching the uh, college final and the NBA. And she came over and she says, now you've got another TV, don't you? I said, yeah, we got this one upstairs. He said, good. Cause this is probably going to take a while. And I know the college football final and the jazz are on tonight. So, and I know you got to wait. I know you got to watch them. So I said, yeah, we're covered. So she and my wife were downstairs for like two, three hours. They got it. And then Tuesday night, I watched, started watching this Beatles thing. So, and they, and they hold all the records. You can look it up. I mean, it, it, but yet they're cast aside because they're old, right? And, and two of them are dead. Uh, and if they came out today, they would be unbelievable because they're still smashing records. So this is what we do. So Dwayne Wade's point, I think, is absolutely spot on. And I think it's up to guys like Mitchell and Kobe did this so well to – continue to refresh our memories. And Dwayne Wade is doing this. 
by talking about these great, great players. Because those great players of those bygone eras, I fully believe that they would be great players today. And the league is where it is because of those great players. Will Chamberlain up defending the pick and roll at the top of the key and then chase down blocks like Rudy does. That'd be great. If that's what he needed to do, you don't think he could do it? No, I'm sure he would do it. I know he could. He could move. I mean, Will, nobody ever said, Will was agile. So I think Will defending the pick and roll would be wildly entertaining. I think it'd be must-see TV. One year he shot 68% from the field. (laughs) He shot 68% from within two feet of the rim. Yeah, and that year he shot 44% from the free throw line. (laughs) Uh, He sucked there. He was only a 51% free throw shooter for his career. And I managed to get under his skin when I asked him a question. What did you ask him? And what was the event? Now, he... I know, I know we're getting old, PK, but Wilt retired in 1973. <laughs> and you were not covering sports in 1973. I was not. You were a fan, but you were not. No. So what was the event where you got to interview? This would have been the 90s, uh, early 90s, before I moved up here. Yeah. And he had gotten an award. Um, the town of where I, where I uh, lived, San Pedro, they tried to, and they still have it, but they tried to establish a uh, sports walk of fame. Ah. And so they have plaques in the sidewalk and it was sort of a big deal. They would do it every November and, uh, and they had a, they would have a, 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 a lunch in and a ceremony and they would have it on a, um, a cruise ship because Pedro's right on the harbor. It's, it's literally the LA Harbor. That's where the town is. It's that's the LA Harbor is in Pedro. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, uh, they would have this thing. And so he gave this speech and he's just going on about how great it is. So I so afterward we had a little question and answer. And so I asked him, so, well, I mean, you received so many awards. Is this really rank right up there with some of the great awards and he got bugged by the question. You don't know me because if you knew me, you wouldn't ask that question. I said, "Whoa, easy, big fella." <laughs> You're right. I don't know you. No. Fortunately, he was sitting down, or I would have been way intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> so they had a number of uh, prominent. Uh, most of them were LA type athletes. I can remember interviewing Jackie Joyner Kersey, mm-hmm. and she was and was outside, and she was just being mobbed by people and she was signing autographs as she was interviewing me. And it was funny because I mean, there was just dozens of people wanting her autograph and we were talking about her illustrious career and her husband had actually gone to Pedro high. So there was a local connection there. Uh, so yeah, but anyway, I got under Wilt's skin. So that's one of my claim to fames, but I think that's what we do. And I, and I think that, uh, that that's what golf does so well and it's a niche sport. I get it. But the great players seem like they're always around. Yes. And you see them, you know, you've, we've watched literally Jack Nichols age from whenever you start to see him to where he is. And I think he's like 81 now. Uh, and we've seen that and we've seen these guys and they're around. And I think basketball should be doing that too. tout these guys, because there were some great, great players and they'll continue to be great players. This sport, I believe is only getting better. Arnold Palmer came and played at the senior uh, golf event up in Park City. 
and I was supposed to go up and talk to him, and I had to get him during the round. And I can tell you, boy, talk about losing the plot and not being aware of how things work. I was supposed to, they, someone I talked to, you know, the tournament PR said, yeah, he should be at whatever hole, 12 or whatever it was. And uh, that's not a good place to get him. Get him as he walks off the uh, 13th green. That'll be good, or whatever it was, right? So, so I was told to go to this place. And sure enough, I would have been late if I'd gone to the other hole, and it wouldn't have been good. And so I get there. And I'm just a little bit ahead of him. He comes off. Man, talk about it. my mouth is just like chalky dry. <laughs> and I'm I, I'm bothering him during a round. I mean, it was it was a practice round. Arnold it was a Palmer. senior tour. It was like to talk to people like me is literally the reason he's there. Doing what you're talking about. Selling the game, selling the sport. And I was so nervous. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and of course he was completely gracious and gave great answers to mediocre questions. It was awesome. Yeah. And so every, think, every sport needs that. Bring, bring, in those, bring in those guys, uh, or in the case of women's sports now with the WNBA, they ought to be bringing out the people who launched it in the first decade. Because they, are they about to, or do they just, they just celebrated 25 years, right? Uh, or they're about so, yeah. to. Yeah, right. No. So it's, uh, right. it's, it's how you sell a sport. Yeah. And those players, I, I firmly believe they would be the stars of then – would be the stars of now. In fact, I can argue the stars of then would be bigger stars now. Nancy Lopez would come out and dominate the LPGA now? Uh, I'm speaking of the NBA. I don't, I don't, I don't know about that, uh, Nancy. I mean, that's problem with, with, with women's golf. you got a lot of them that end up wanting to be mothers and have families, so their game kind of short circuits, and they don't get the opportunity to continue. Oh, I know, but I'm talking time travel transport. You know, somebody at their peak, and that's the oh, first yeah, person yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember at the peak of women's golf. You brought up, you know, Jack and Arnie. Big I mean, Mama Joanne peak. Carner? You don't remember her? What's I wrong know, with you? I know, again, this is the name that gets pushed to the back of the shelf that I probably ought to know better. Dolph Shays. Julie Probably Inkster, a, you don't know her? What is jo- wrong with you? I do know Julie Inkster, but Julie Inkster's done a lot of media. Dolph Shays, great <laughs> basketball name, and I know that, don't know anything about Dolph Shays. Yeah, don't. but you know everything about Danny Shays. <laughs> I know a little bit about Danny Shays. <laughs> I just saw a story dusting off the back shelf about there was a, it was a Twitter and there was a photo of two sons who were uh, walking wounded, and I had forgotten about the game, but they both caught elbows from uh, the mailman in the same game. Except I had a really good view of Joe Klein getting clobbered, and he led with his face. He completely leaned in. I think, Joe, you had it coming. And the other guy, and I'm forgetting who it it was now. It might have been Kevin Johnson. That was, well, that was classic mailman. Carl's got to wear that one. But not Joe Klein. Okay. But you forget all those moments. And those games and those accomplishments and how players dominated. And you do move on to the, to the next thing. See, that's why you got to be like BYU and play the Danny Ainge play over and over again. And then you play the, uh, the, uh, the safety. Who was the safety? Camarell who makes the tackle. I God. feel like not only did I watch that game, I feel like I was right at the goal line watching that play. Except you weren't, and neither was I. You're standing on the end line <laughs> watching it happen. At the time, I don't think I knew anything about it. That, that was one of the things I learned when I got here. I knew a lot of stuff about BYU football from following San Diego State, but I didn't know anything about the dive. First time I saw the dive over the goal line, I was like, whoa, why didn't I know about that? 
But the history, the past does sell the future. So I think the the teams and the leagues and the owners who get that, they, they should definitely do that. And, and social media can help with that. It's a place yeah, all that okay. stuff should live. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. Coming up next, Joe Ingles. So many things to talk to Joe about. He was out for COVID. He got the two T's. Tim McMahon at ESPN is writing a story about the entire league, and Joe doesn't get into it until the second sentence. <laughs> we will talk about all these things with Joe Ingles coming up in 30 minutes. Joe will be here at 9 o'clock. Coming up next, Ken Pomeroy, our college basketball expert and owner of KenPom.com will join us. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. Joining us now, David Cantor, agent for Eric Weddle. Of all the players I've represented, I've probably represented 2,000 guys in the last 26 years. He was the most comfortable post-life of any guy I've ever represented. I can't stress this enough. He's never once said, hey, reach out to Sean uh, and, and see what the Rams think. It was none of that. This was not initiated by us. This was not a desirous thing. Like, oh, man, I'd love to get a chance to win a ring again. Maybe we should sniff around some of the playoff teams. I did none of that. This is Eric Weddle loving his teammates, has unbelievable relationships. This is for the love of the game. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. It's time to welcome Ken Pomeroy back to the show, college basketball expert, owner of KenPom.com. Ken, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, am I in the original or the initial or the normal Joe Ingles spot here? Is that correct? Uh, this would be early for Joe. He might okay, do an okay. 830 appearance. He tends towards right. the 845, 850, or 905. All depends on the okay. schedule, which usually depends when he has to drop his kids off. So there you go. He uh, has gone as early as eight, yeah. So, Ken, I, I don't want to, say, to... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, in honor of Joe Engel, it would be really cool to get ejected from, from something. <laughs> okay. Keep it up, Ken. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping you can eject me from this uh, interview at some point. Out of here! <laughs> uh, we don't want to bore people with your whole backstory, because a lot of people know it, but there are people listening who don't know that you have uh, cooked up a, uh, a formula to assess and rank all 350-whatever, wherever we are now, college basketball teams in Division One, And you got so good at it that the folks who do the NCAA tournament, the actual basketball committee, started using it as one of their data points as they try to seed the tournament. You've done it for a long time. You've come on our show. You've talked about stuff. Nobody gets them all, but you get a lot of stuff right. And I know you got a lot of confidence in your system, but I'm curious how much your system is tested and how much your confidence wobbles this year because teams are playing, they're stopping, they're starting. Uh, teams are playing without some players, so they're not at full strength. How much does that really wreck what you're trying to do? And, and how much do you think there's enough information you'll get to March and have a really good idea what's going on? Well, it it is annoying. I will say it is an annoying issue that, uh, you know, games are getting canceled or teams play at partial strength. And my system was never never designed for the kind of uh, 
uh, roster changes that are, are happening kind of on a weekly basis um, this season. But, you know, it was, it was way more of a problem last season. And you could definitely notice. I mean, I, you know, I track the accuracy from day to day of, of all the predictions. And, you know, last year there was a noticeable uh, degradation in the quality of the predictions. This year we're actually pretty close to, to normal for a normal year. So uh, I'm encouraged by that. And in general, I think I think it's going to be okay. I mean, we, we're obviously going through a period here where there's, you know, 10 to 15% of the schedule every day is, is being canceled. But it seems like we are rapidly getting to a point where there are fewer, like, cancellations being announced. Like, there's still, you know, like today you look at the schedule and there's a bunch of games that have been canceled. But they were canceled, like, you know, six, seven days ago. Like, we're, we're not hearing – a lot of news, you know, yesterday or today of, of next week's games being canceled. So, um, so I think that's encouraging. I, I think we'll be, I think we'll be in great shape by the time we get to, to March. Plus, there are going to be more games played this year than last year, so that that will help as well. Yeah, I'm thinking, Ken. The like the Pac-12 has already announced some makeup games. Uh, the Utes are playing at two o'clock on Sunday down in Tempe, or Monday, I think it is. So, with that in mind, they'll play the games more than likely. So if the system is a little bit flawed now, wouldn't it stand a reason that it would catch up? Yes, it would. And I think that's another another good point. Last year when we were dealing with cancellations, they were pretty randomly spread out throughout the year. And, you know, you got postponements or cancellations in late February, like you obviously weren't making up those games. This year I think there's hope that, like you said, so a lot of these games are back on the schedule. And I, I think, that, you, know, with, you know, just it's kind of standard – common sense here that if uh, a bunch of teams are getting you know getting knocked out here in early january like you know they're not going to be canceling games in mid-february so so i don't know if we're going to end up playing every conference game this year i think that's probably unrealistic but you know you look like even like i was looking at the wcc and like the most i think gonzaga's had like three games postponed or canceled that aren't on the schedule and that's like the most in the league and you, know, you go back to last year, I think like St. Mary's ended up playing like nine games total, you know, in, in conference. So we're not going to have a, a situation like that this year. So that's that's pretty encouraging. Ken Pomeroy joining us, KenPom.com. So let's just stay with the WCC. BYU got off to a great start. I assumed they were an NCAA tournament team, and it was just a question of where they would be seated, and they racked up some impressive wins early on. They've still got a good record, but they're missing two bigs, and they struggle to score. And I'm curious how much wiggle room they have because I think they're NCAA tournaments. If I had to guess right now, I'd guess they miss it. I'm, but that means that I'm assuming they're going to lose some ugly games on the road, and that that's going to sink them and all that. How much wiggle room? Do, how much of a cushion do they have right now? I'd say quite a bit. I mean, the story in the WCC is that obviously you have Gonzaga; they're they're going to be there, and then you have. BYU and St. Mary's and now San Francisco that are chasing bids. And I think, you know, BYU getting the win over St. Mary's um, last week will, uh, you know, certainly put them as the front runner of those three teams. Like the WCC is not getting one bid. You know, they're going to get at least two. They might get three. And if things work out exactly perfectly, they, they could get four. Um, so as long as BYU maintains that foothold as, as the second best team, um, they're a lock. If they, even if it's close, they're going to be in great shape because what they did in non-conference was better than you know anybody else did in the WCC except for Gonzaga. So, um, so I think they're in pretty good shape. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't know what the the cushion is, but obviously if they 
you lose six or seven games in the league, and they're not in good shape. But here's the thing, too. The WCC is – it's just – it's really set up pretty well for teams to get bids this year. You know, in past years, you, you would have this group of teams, like, ranked between, you know, 75 and oh, 150 or something. And those are teams that, you know, the NCAA selection committee just kind of disrespected. If you lost to them, it was – frowned upon for sure but those are the types of teams that you can definitely lose to on the road if you're uh you know not gonzaga and those teams really don't exist in the league this year like santa clara is there but you know the, the rest of the league is really disappointed the bottom of the league is 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 worse than it, it usually is so uh, that makes the you know the road to avoiding bad losses a lot easier than it used to be and so i think that will also play into byu's hands Project ahead for us and tell us how good the Big 12 is going to be when they have their new members because they're already really good, but they're adding some pretty good basketball programs, man. Do you see them just being even better? Not even better. Not even better. Can't go there. But the thing is, you know, six, at least six of the last eight years, they've been number one, uh, the number one conference in my system anyway. Um, they're going to do that this year. Uh, easily, like they're like just far and away the best league in the country. So, um, you know, you take out Texas and Oklahoma, and and those haven't been exactly like the flagship basketball programs in the league, but they've been good. Like, say, you know, average average programs in that league, which are talking a very good league, and you know, you replace them with uh, the teams you're replacing them with, and uh, they will take a bit of a drop. But obviously, like as long as Kevin Sampson's at Houston, which I don't know how much longer that will be, but. Um, as long as he's there, you know, you'd expect Houston to be amazing, obviously coming off the of Final Four and uh, still had a Final Four team this year, lost a couple of, of their rotation players due to injury for the rest of the season, so it'll be more challenging for them. But um, that program's in great shape. Uh, Cincinnati is, uh, you know, a traditional, you know, solid team, uh, kind of a rebuilding year this year. But, uh, you know, have a great young coach in West Miller, so they'll probably be pretty solid. UCF is probably the weakling of this group, but um, again, they've you know really kind of raised the level of their program, and uh, you know they're having a, a solid year for them. And obviously, BYU is, seems to be on the right trajectory. And you'd think some of that's tied to, uh, to Mark Pope being there. But if you go to the Big Twelve, like you know Mark Pope's probably going to be there. So, so there's still a chance. It's like you know long term the best conference in the country. Uh, it just. It, it will take a little bit of a step back. We've just got to be honest about that. Has the Pac-12 taken a step forward, even if it's three teams that are doing it and nine teams are watching and taking credit for it and taking a bow? <laughs> right, yeah. So what do we, yeah, when we talk about leagues, like we just – a lot of times the league membership is a lot more interesting than just, you know, talking about a, a league average. And uh, the Pac-12 is – you know, one of the best examples of that than I've ever seen. Um, You know, I think the general perception in college basketball world is that the Pac-12 is bad this year. You know, there was some some expectation coming off the tournament last year that, hey, wow, they're going to turn a corner and and the Pac-12 is going to be, you know, back to where it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, In general, that has not been the case. The bottom of the league is is really bad. I have five teams ranked outside the top 100, which is – not acceptable for a power conference. And, uh, you know, there's really only three teams that are going to be, like, at-large worthy, it appears. However, those three teams are awesome. You know, like, Arizona has, uh, 
I think really been one of the surprises of the season. Like they did not get many votes in the preseason AP poll, and it's easy to like look back on that now and be like, oh well, we should have known. We should have known they'd be good. You know, a lot of guys coming back, brought in some key transfers, new coach, and it's just all come together in an incredible way for them. Like they're a legitimate, you know, Final Four type team. UCLA. You know, they haven't necessarily set the world on fire to start the season, but, you know, they've been solid and obviously coming off Final Four appearance with basically everybody back. You know, they're, they're a Final Four contender. And then you have USC, which just, just suffered their first loss over the weekend. But um, they, uh, they too, are going to be a very nice seed. You know, uh, um, you know, Indian Field has got things rolling there. So potentially, you know, a, a one, two, and three seed in the NCAA tournament or a one, two, and two or a one, two, and four, something like that. But you're going to have three teams that are – all capable and will be seated in a position to make a deep run, despite the fact that, as you point out, the other nine teams are just innocent bystanders in, uh, in this whole situation. We have an NCAA selection committee who makes the seeds and sets up the tournament. Any of these people ever get in touch with you and ask for your advice, your insight? They never do. They never do. And frankly, I'm insulted by that. I mean, the, the most contact, <laughs> the most contact I've had with them, you know, it was about five years ago. You know, they invited a bunch of a uh, bunch of us guys out there. I don't know what you want to call us. I'm trying to avoid any sort of derogatory term, but um, you know, they invited us guys out there to to advise them on which way the the committee should should go as they were, uh, you know, planning to dump the RPI and move to something uh, more advanced to help them select their teams and. Uh, and that was great. And I thought, I thought, wow, this is like, you know, pretty progressive for the NCAA. Give them a lot of credit. And, uh, you know, I had a couple conversations with them after that. But really what, you know, they ended up doing was just kind of going their own way at that point. Even though, you, as you mentioned, they have, you know, these six other metrics that they, they have at their disposal. They, you know, they created the net rating, which is, uh, you know, kind of a, a, bad, a bad copy of my own rating, if I'm being honest. I mean, the, the ratings are, are pretty similar. Ingredients are slightly different, and it's not exactly clear how it works. But but they created that rating, and, and that's kind of you know what they what they rely on now instead of the RPI to make their selections. And so, yeah, I haven't really had any like significant contact with anybody in the NCAA office for you know at least a couple of years, I'd say. Before we let you go, last thing: how many teams from the state of Utah are going to be in the NCAA tournament? If you had to guess right now. Well, you know, it's a little bit of a depressing topic because I think three or four weeks into the season, like it was looking pretty exciting for, uh, you know, certainly at least Utah State, who's kind of fallen off a bit. Um, the youth, you know, you never really expected them to make the tournament, but there was like some hope, hey, maybe they could, you know, as bad as the Pac-12 is, maybe they could finish like fifth in this league and, you know, have a, have a chance to grasp at some straws, you know, at the uh, Pac-12 tournament or something like that. But those two teams look like they're they're not a factor. So I think we got BYU, and I think we got somebody from the Big Sky, whether it's uh, Weaver State or Southern Utah. Like they're like the two best teams in that league, pretty clearly. And uh, after that, I guess you can grasp it. Uh, you know, Utah Valley maybe winning the the WAC tournament. But um, I'd go with two. I'd go with BYU and, and whoever comes out of the Big Sky. Ken, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Warming everybody up for Joe Ingles. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I, I really disagree with that call you made, though, about uh, two hours ago. And I would like to punch you in the face.
Can you throw me, can you throw me, can you throw me out of here? Eddie's out of here. You're gone. <laughs> no, if you, if I have to sit here and watch this game, then you have to sit here and watch this game. I think that was Frank Layden got that one night when he was trying to get thrown out. It was a bad game. And the ref knew what he was doing. He's like, no, you got to sit here and watch this game. And I got it too. All right, thanks, Ken. We appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Ken Pomeroy, KenPom.com. We'll have him on later on in the college basketball season as it gets closer to the NCAA tournament. All right, the Joe Ingles Show, 15 minutes away. Lots to talk to Joe about, as Ken was just uh, mentioning. Getting kicked out, coming back from COVID, ending up in an ESPN.com story about trash talking in the NBA. We'll get to all of that with Joe in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. Aaron Rodgers is terrific. Aaron Rodgers is very mad. That'd be weird. He wins the Super Bowl and, and bolts. But that's his style. That's totally his he style. He would love to do that. He would love to do yeah. that. He's never going to be happy wherever Still he goes. Still going to be mad. He's an angry guy. Here, Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. Every day from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. PK, we got a lot of learning to do. Teach me. I can't because I got a lot of learning to do too. Well, you learn but first then. TCU Horn Frogs, two time all Big 12 defensive end. I can't even pronounce his name. Ochan? Ochan? O C H A U N. Mathis enters college football transfer portal. Do we know the history and the trends with all 12 teams in the Pac 12? Who's been up? Who's been down? Who recruited poorly? And who lost uh, key transfers and gutted a program? And, and so we know all of that. And in the Big 12, I just don't know it. So he's a four year kid. He's got one year to go. TCU looks like they're going to be rebuilding under a new coach. I, uh, he's a Texas kid. I assume he goes somewhere nearby and tries to win more. He's not going to the NFL, he's in the transfer portal, but. You always talk about we have a lot to study and a lot to learn about the Big 12. We know a little bit about TCU from the Mountain West days. Losing a two-time All-Big 12 defensive end, that's a, that's a blow to a new coaching staff. Oh, yeah. Obviously, man. But what is TCU doing in the transfer portal? Because I saw a story, I think Yock retweeted it. Somebody has Jackson Dart, uh, Old Miss, TCU, and who's the other one that he's interested in? Uh, Oklahoma. So, Oklahoma, yeah. Those Oklahoma. Are the, so those three, I, was, I read the story, those are the three he's expected to visit this week. That's a kid yeah. from the Pac-12 footprint going outside the Pac-12 footprint. Now he hasn't gone yet just because he's visiting. Well, but my point is, so if you replace somebody with somebody better, but you know, if you're all Big 12, obviously you're pretty good there. But TCU's in a little bit of a rebuilding, as you say, anyway. That's what yeah. basically got our man, what's his name, uh, the coach there, Gary Patterson, got him sort of forced out, basically. Uh, he'd been there for such a long time and was so successful, but it had gotten a little stale. And in college football, you know, what are you going to get? And we're seeing it in the NFL. You know, you basically now the NFL is two years. College football, are we going to get to that point? Two years? Yes. That seems awfully, awfully short. Yes. Uh, two years. Two, that would be outrageous to me. Especially because nobody gives you, you don't give out two-year contracts to, <laughs> to hire somebody. So you're paying out money. And the funny thing is, you know, we, we heard so much about, oh, we're losing $30 million and we've got to raise this money and that money. And then you look at what, what did I see? The college football coaches uh, collectively are getting like $10 million in bonuses. Yeah, it's up uh, like so 14. Whittingham is getting 
a $600,000 bonus for all the accomplishments. <laughs> he doesn't make enough. Mm-hmm. You got, you got to give him a bonus like that. I mean, so I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear this stuff about, well, you're, you're underwater money wise at COVID and whatnot. I mean, COVID's not over. I don't think anyway, if I, you look at the numbers, seems like they're going, I realize games are still going on and all that stuff, but the money that's being spent is just so outrageous and all in a pursuit to win. And yet, and yet in the Pac-12, they're not spending enough. Even though they're spending outrageous amounts of money, comparatively, they're still not spending enough. Like It's what Freddie J said. It's never going to end. <laughs> it's not going to end at UCLA because they are working on a contract extension for Chip Kelly, 24-7 sports with a story about that. And yeah. he's over $5 million. He's seven games under five hundred. But over five million, and he's he's they either have to let him go or give him a new deal because he's going into the right. last year of his five year deal, and you right. can't ask someone to recruit at a high level in that situation. Now, how much of the money will be guaranteed? What do the outs look like for both sides? So there's some wiggle room in what this contract looks like, and it is trending up. I mean, the eight wins is the best season that they have had there in a while. So yeah, but even that's relative. The league's down, and he beats teams with losing records. Somebody in the comments, yeah. and I don't know that this number is right, but I suspect it's at least ballpark accurate, is that Chip is 2-22 and against teams with winning records. That's not good. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> now, off the top of my head, I can think of a lot of examples that make me think, even if that number isn't exactly right, it's ballpark. The Devils got eight wins this year, and they only beat one team with a winning record. And you know what that team was? UCLA. Yeah, that's it. And that, I did know that stat, and that was one of the things that made me think, yeah, they're onto something there with Chip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we thought this year there, there was a bunch of coaching hires. I think next year might actually be crazy. In the Pac-12, or you think? Yeah, Pac-12. Industry-wide, okay. Pac-12. How many jobs are turning over? Who's on the... Who's on, who's in trouble? ASU could open. Well, we just uh, named two. two. UCLA could open. Yeah. Uh, Cal and Stanford, maybe. We'll have to see how those go. Um, well, Oregon and Washington just opened in Washington State, so I don't think they'd be changing. Uh, or, you, Oregon State, you know, if they win, if Oregon State gets even better next year, they their job could be open for the other reason. Even better? Seven and six. Even better? They got to be even better. Right. But if he goes <laughs> no, out and wins eight or nine games, he no. could get a job. You know he could. But, I mean, you acted like they were awesome. If they're even better. Well, they're like, way they're Like way, they were better this year. They're way better than they were. Okay. They've got two and three lost seasons. You get Oregon State to seven, I think people start and, noticing. If you get to eight or nine. Two and three win season, not lost seasons. Right, two or three win seasons, yes. So if you turn a two or three win team into a seven win team, and then you back it up with eight or nine, yeah, he'll get a job offer. Whether he Plus, there's a big time proven winner sitting out there. Who's that? Ur- Urban Meyer. Oh, yeah. Come on. They're not going to go. He'll be 58 years old, and he'll be he'll probably be raring to go. ASU, ASU. Well, I, I don't I don't know wherever. I mean, and, and he hasn't coached in this conference, so they can kind of camouflage it that way. And plus, he whatever he does, if he gets hired, he'll be able to spin it. He's he's the master spinner. This will have to be his best work yet. Then <laughs> I agree, but this, he this can will get it done. More spinning. 
He can get it done. When we come back, the Joe Ingles Show, next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show (laughs) with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. PK, it is time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, welcome back to your show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so many topics to hit with you. Uh, no, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so the team was skating through COVID while the rest of the league was having major issues. And then all of a sudden the Jazz have major issues. It starts with you. Just take us through it. Uh, how'd you find out? How'd you feel? How quick did you feel like you're bouncing back from it? Yeah, it was obviously um, I said in media yesterday, I almost feel like every team at some point was probably going to go through it. and We'd done obviously a pretty good job to um, – I mean, we had a few here and there within the organization and, and close contacts or whatever they list them as. But um, obviously the team had done well of, of keeping as, as, I don't even know what you're safe or healthy as possible. Um, so I had a, obviously a, a family member, like I said, um, that I was a close contact to and then um, decided to get the family tested just to be kind of on the safe side. Um, and they were positive and then... We were in Denver, um, and the rules this year, anyway, obviously leading into Canada, you have to get tested before going there to play. So this is obviously 48 hours before we all kind of had to get tested anyway, and I was like, with obviously with my family being positive, I am obviously pretty close to them and have been around them a lot. Um, so I was like, let me just go get tested 48 hours kind of before we had a almost like a mandatory test anyway to to go to Toronto um, and obviously came back back positive. And um, kind of looking back, I, I guess I'm kind of glad I decided to, to go and test. I, I didn't have any symptoms. That's why I was, I guess, 50-50 on whether I even tested or not because I was felt completely fine. I've, I've felt completely fine through the whole process of, of this last kind of 10, 11 days, whatever it's been. Um, tested, I would have been positive and been around the guys for an extra 48 hours. So I guess who knows what that would look like with how, I guess, easy this, this new variant's been transmitted and passed around. So um, found out in Denver, stayed a couple of days in Denver to get my tests and obviously kind of go through this whole variety of tests before you, I guess, officially, I don't even know, diagnose positive or whatever, be told I'm positive. Um, Stay there for a few days, then obviously made a decision um, with, so Renee's parents have been here for a little while, they were positive, 
Renee and the, and the twins were positive, um, made the decision to, to just go home and, and obviously quarantine together. There was no, obviously speaking to the way more professional people than me, there was no extra risk to go home or to be passed it on more or, or less or whatever. Obviously, the, tw- the kids were the biggest worry, um, which they were good. The, the twins had no symptoms. Obviously, Jack, we couldn't isolate Jack by himself, so he, he was with us regardless and just kept a close eye on him. Um, we were thinking of putting him in a hotel by himself to, to not get it, but um, we actually never got him tested. Um, but he had a fever a couple of the nights. But, yeah, just a, a bit of a weird time, I guess, to go through it um, in, in terms of, like... I, like I said, I felt totally fine, but I, I, from you get on social media and everyone's tweeting about how you're this positive guy and <laughs> to stay away from everyone, and you feel completely fine. Like it, uh, it was a, it was a bizarre kind of ten, twelve days, whatever it was. Um, pretty quickly because of um, no symptoms and um, and all that. So yeah, it's been it's been bizarre. I think it'll be three or four days now, whatever it's been since I've been cleared. So then everybody in the in-laws are all doing well? Everybody's okay? Yeah, Renee was probably the the worst a couple of days in. Um, but in saying that, obviously, like, really, like, flu-like symptoms, congested, sore throat, headache. Um, uh, like, honestly, like, you would feel not downplaying how she felt because she did feel pretty crappy for a few days um, and she's kind of at the end of it now but yeah just like that flu like headache runny nose bit of a like congested and sore throat um, obviously Renee's parents being a, a bit older as well just making sure they were, uh, they had a few kind of minor symptoms but I guess overall what people have gone through and, and seeing the numbers in hospital and, and all those type of things we, we got out um, reasonably freely um, like I said, Jack had a fever for a, for a couple of days there, and um, obviously just keeping an eye. Like I said, I think for for myself and Renee, knowing we would probably be okay through it, but just making sure her parents and uh, and obviously the, the the kids are, are obviously a worry uh, with Jacob and his stuff. So um, yeah, glad we got out pretty freely from it. Um, but yeah, it was a it, it was a bizarre kind of I think. Renee's, they found out, so they're up to like day 15 or 14 or 15 now. So um, obviously we've been, we've been cleared and all that now, but it's, yeah, it's been a bizarre couple of weeks. So you got a couple technicals, and I was wondering if you, the feedback you got from your wife was, uh, you know, what are you doing? Or she could see how chippy that game was and she just let it go. Or, you know, what, do you second guess yourself? What do you think? Oh man, it's just like a, a, I think there's a, a few things that are built up with it. And obviously, I was super pumped to be out there again. Um, probably didn't look like it getting thrown out, but I was excited to be back out there. Um, obviously, we were down numbers, um, which was a stupid decision by me, obviously, because we're already down a couple of players and um, we needed as many bodies as possible. Um, but yeah, just a frustration level, obviously, there's, there's part of that in how, how I have been playing and, and was playing that, whatever it was last night. Um, obviously, I know I can 
can play a lot better and, and that frustration of things just not really kind of clicking and, and um, not that I've ever second-guessed myself basketball-wise, but just um, wanting it, wanting it to, to kind of get back and get that, that flow back of obviously how I know I can play and probably taking it out on the referees isn't the, the smartest thing to do because that limits my time of being out there to, to keep figuring it out. But, um, yeah, it was just obviously a, what I thought was a very easy call, the second one, and um, not downplaying the referee's job at all here. But, yeah, just, just thought they had missed a couple. And um, it was I think it was Boyan or whatever, so just trying to stick up for, for a teammate. And, yeah, just obviously brought over. I'm, I I can I can promise you from this, I, I will never get thrown out again. I can promise you that. Um, Ooh. It won't. Yeah, it won't, no, it won't happen. I don't know what what punishment you can give me, but it's not going to happen again, so it's not going to matter. <laughs> but as of uh, today, I'm, I'm letting it go. I'm going to get back to kind of enjoying myself out there and, and letting this letting the frustration go of, of how I've been playing, getting back to the basics of it and just being myself out there and enjoying it. And I think obviously you guys know and, and probably a lot of fans that have watched for eight years when I'm, when I'm smiling out there and having fun and, and obviously enjoying what I'm doing, it's, it's when I, I play my best. So I just need to get back to that. And, um, I, can, I can promise you I won't be getting thrown out ever again. Well, we'll take your promise and we'll believe it because usually your word, in fact, I think your word always is good. One of the stuff you've told us anyway, you've always lived up to it. So I believe you will never get thrown out again. And uh, that'll be the end. That'll, that'll be the end of it. I'm wondering with all the COVID going on and Gobert still out and then yesterday, you know, Whiteside and all this, you got three yeah. days with no games. What's the team planning to do? Because can you get together? Um, we can. There's obviously, um, I think every team, well, most teams have gone through a pretty rough patch at some point, and there's a few different protocols that you have to abide by um, during these times. Um, so, a bit extra testing. Um, obviously, with with the days we've we've got today off, which is um, which is nice. Obviously, for for the guys, I'm actually heading in now. Um, I've had enough days off, so um, I, I used my, uh, my get-out-of-jail-free cards in the Denver hotel last week. So, um, yeah, I'll go in there. Um, I'll, I don't think I'll see anybody else in there, which is, is obviously good. They had a, obviously a long trip, um, and even just not the trip itself, but like you said, with, with all the, the COVID stuff going on, it's um, probably been a frustrating couple of weeks for, for everybody. So, um different rules and testing and testing times and um, you almost go back to what we were um, kind of at the start of this a couple of years ago when we were learning a lot more about it so uh, the guys will get to, to get away today and, and enjoy a, a day away from, from everything and then obviously um, I think we got a couple of days still after that so probably a, a good time for us to be able to get into practice a couple of days and, and kind of get back to, to the, the way that obviously we know we can play and um, again obviously with COVID and, and guys being out and um, I mean I haven't missed that many games in my eight years Rudy's missed four or five in the last four or five years um, so it's been 
it's been yeah, we've I don't I mean I don't think we've ever not played with a centre before. Um, me being me and Eric or whoever being the two tallest guys out there. So um, like I said, it's not there's no excuses. Um, obviously, we know we on that trip it was going to be a bit tougher. Obviously, last night it was going to be a bit tougher. Um, again, it doesn't excuse us. We, we still have to go out there, try and play as as well as we can. But obviously, I mean, last night's a good example. We're obviously playing a fairly different style um, with five guards out there, uh, which I don't think we've really ever done um, since I've been. I, I think I got subbed in as a five, like one or two possessions, like three or four years ago. Um, but obviously, we've we've always kind of yeah. Uh, like I said, every every team's gone through it. It's, it's trust the COVID stuff, and then obviously slowly we'll we'll start to get players back, and um, and hopefully we can get back to our ourselves. While you're out, do you watch NBA basketball and follow some of the storylines? Do you get away from it? Obviously, Memphis has won 20 out of 24, and John Morant is blocking shots with two hands at the top of the uh, box. <laughs> but I don't know how much you tune all that out. Or, or if you notice it more, because you got more time on your hands. Yeah, I mean, in, in Denver, um, I was stuck in a hotel room for three nights or whatever it was. So not, uh, not a lot you can do in there. Um, Obviously, that's a part of the process of, of getting back to. Like, I'm, you can't go from sitting in a hotel room to, to playing an NBA game. Players and teams are, are, are too good for that. So, um, I did that. And then, obviously, I was glad to get home because I've got a gym at home and I can, can work out. Obviously, hadn't touched a, a basketball for a few days there, um, which is kind of like, the, I guess, the frustrating part during this whole thing. But you just kind of... In, in Denver, I was kind of stuck. Uh, I did watch a few a few more games than I'd probably ever watched before, or, or teams that I would not normally watch, just because I was I was in there anyway. And um, obviously, getting home was was very different. I wasn't watching NBA games, but obviously, with the, the kids full of COVID as well, um, they weren't at school or, or anything like that. So we were we were home twenty four seven together. Um, obviously. COVID not being the ideal situation to do that, but it was nice to almost like reconnect with my family and my kids a little bit and, and Renee and just be able to spend time with them. And um, I mean, I could probably count on one hand how many days I've I've had where I haven't had to abide by the jazz schedule um, and, and have to run off during Miller's soccer game or drop them at school and run into practice and, and figure all that stuff out. So... Um, that part of it was nice to, to kind of reconnect with my, my family and, and spend some time with them and be able to do Miller's schoolwork, the school centre, her schoolwork home, so be able to sit there with with her or sit there with Jacob and watch a movie, just, just little things that I don't normally get to do. Um, a bit of basketball at the start, but then um, not much towards the end, obviously only the, the jazz games that, that I was able to watch or that I wanted to watch. <laughs> How long does it take to get out of NBA basketball shape? Well, I mean, I was obviously never out of shape, but it's just that, like I said, you go from... I was lucky that I could get out of the hotel and and get back to to Utah. And like I said, I I had a gym and and be able to do some stuff and get outside in the backyard and whatever, get some fresh air. But 
I mean, if you're, if I was in the hotel for three nights, four days, like if, if, if you are stuck in the hotel for, for whatever reason, um, for the entire quarantine period, it's, I don't think you necessarily like lose your fitness that quickly, but I mean, there's, there's no way any team, I think they, they announce it as like reconditioning or whatever they put on the, on the injury report, but it's obviously no one's sitting there like on a bike and treadmill, like trying to get in shape. It's just a, no team's going to let a player go from sitting in a hotel or house for five or six, seven, however many days you're in the protocol to, to guarding Jamarant or, or guarding Garland or whoever you're, you're playing. It's a, um, that's a tough job to do when you <laughs> when you've been at practice the whole time. Never mind sitting in a, in a hotel room. So there's obviously the protocol, COVID-wise, to, to be cleared and, and be deemed healthy or, or whatever to, to play. And then obviously the team has a protocol um, just to make sure you you are you're good. And obviously for me as well, leading into the COVID stuff, I'd missed a couple games or the, the game and. Um, it was probably 50-50 for the New Orleans game um, with, with my back as well. So sitting in a hotel room isn't, isn't ideal with a, a bad back. But we, like I said, you, you go through the process, you trust the people that are, um, are paid the money to, to make those decisions and, and give you the guidance on that. And um, Yeah, it's, I mean, the NBA, the NBA is tough regardless when you're fit and healthy, never mind, like I said, coming off a, a five, six, seven-day break. ESPN has a piece on trash talking in the NBA and how it's evolving. And it starts with you and Jimmy Butler. And you have a great line, which is why it starts the piece. Butler was staring at me like he was bloody about to beat the bleep out of me, Ingles recalled. And then he found you before a game and basically said, uh, I want my money, you want your money, let's let it go. That's how it works, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was was bizarre because obviously early on in my career I didn't know anybody or or anything like that um i obviously was a kind of a i guess a fresh face in the nba and whatever and um yeah it just wasn't i don't even know what happened i I remember getting i tried to like blow up a screen or something and like got knocked over and he was staring like standing over me staring and i was like I don't know what I'm about to do. And all I remember was um, uh, Trevor Booker jumped in front, like jumped in front and um, like grabbed him off me or whatever and like helped me up. And then I was like, man, Book's, Book was my absolute hero. And then, yeah, like <laughs> completely randomly, this is, this is my, like we'd been, we'd been, we'd been teed up um, a few times post that. And then, um, yeah, like completely. Like I said, I I never knew the guy. Um, but then completely randomly, I was stretching to the half court like I do every pregame, and and he came up to me out of nowhere and was like, "Yo, let's just like let's just let this go." <laughs> um, when he was walking up to me, I was a bit intimidated because I was like, "Holy, whatever." Um, this guy's probably gonna, who knows what he's gonna do or say to me right now because we have got into it so many times, and then. Yeah, ever since then we've—I um, wouldn't say we're like best friends, but we've we've got along really well. And um, he actually helped me this summer with some property stuff where I was looking to to get some property where where he knows the area. And 
um, actually helped me a, a fair bit. So, um, yeah, very different uh, <laughs> turn of events than when I first met him. Do you think that the good can come from all this stuff, all this junk, this losing streak and the COVID and all that can benefit you guys in the long run? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think a part of it, if if you don't have symptoms, obviously there's, there's people that haven't been feeling well, um, player or coach or, or whoever that is, or, or, or the general public, there's a lot of people obviously struggling with it. But uh, I think for me it was, like I said, I had no symptoms the whole time. Um, I almost, not that I wanted to get symptoms, but it was like I, I was waiting for something to happen just because of the stories you hear and stuff like that. And um, obviously for me, having a, a pretty big couple of years, I was, it was the time to, to use it as, as some rest as well, like to, to get in there and um, use it the right way. Obviously, I wasn't just going to sit around. I, I'd try to move as much as I could in my in my hotel room and then obviously in, in, at my, my house. But, um, yeah, use it to, to switch off a little bit. Um, obviously, had the season last year and two days later went straight to the Olympics and then came back and a couple of weeks later after that, I'm, I'm obviously in, in pre-season and, and the process of this. So, uh, I think, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> that's not a like everyone go get COVID and use it to to have a break. But I think if if you end up in that situation, um, I mean, Rudy's the same as me. Had a big summer. He's, I mean, he's missed a handful of games in his career. It's, it's probably obviously not nice that we haven't had him out there because it's a, a pretty big difference. Obviously, not having him, but. Um, if you use it the right way, um, and I guess is what I'm trying to say, get some rest, get the work in that you need to get. Get Obviously, we need to just keep playing the guys that are here, keep fighting through this, and, and whoever's available is available at the point. At, at this point, that's the that's the hard part. Obviously, have guys in and out, but someone's out late with a, a test result or whatever. Like They're, they're uncontrollable. We, like There's nothing we can do if someone tests positive or... It's the same as injuries. We've been through with the Jazz early on in my career with with injuries and guys missing time. So, um, yeah, you just try and use it to the the best of your ability. Obviously, some younger guys get opportunity. It was awesome in Toronto, I think it was, when the young guys get to play. And obviously, I'm, like there's guys that I've never played without their playing, and and Eli's doing unbelievable. Like they're they're the the opportunities guys are going to get. Um, obviously, you've, we've got to weather the storm a little bit with, with what's going on, and um, hopefully, at the other side, we'll, we'll come out. We'll be we'll be healthy, and um, like you said, we you you want to get back to or getting back to kind of who we are and, and how we play. But um, obviously, with with the big fellas out, both of them, um, even Rudy Gay, it obviously is a very different way for us to play because we've, like I said, we've never not played with a center. Um, since I've been here, anyway. So, um, yeah, hopefully the hopefully the storm is uh, is passing over, and we'll start to get players back over over this next next period, and 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 we'll get back to playing. Obviously, how we how we know we can play, and how we've played uh, obviously a lot of this year. Joe, we'll let you go, and I've got it. I don't think you'll get kicked out because you told us you won't. But if you do, the penalty should be the penalty should be. You have to do the show every day for a week. It would reward jazz fans. All right, that's it. That's a deal. I'll uh, 
I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen, but... And you guys would hate me on there for seven days in a row, but... <laughs> um, no, if, if I do, I'll, I'll come... It's probably not a good idea because some fans will probably want me to come out every morning because <laughs> you guys stink and they want to hear from me. Um, but no, that's, we can make that deal. I'll, uh, I'll come on every day for five or seven days, whatever the week consists of, and we'll, uh, we'll get through it. There's the deal. Joe Ingles. He joins us every week right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe, thanks a lot, and we will talk to you next week. Cool. Appreciate it, guys. Joe Ingles joined us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now back to your regularly scheduled mediocre programming. When we return... I think you should have thrown it out to the public what his punishment should be. We can throw it out there. We can do an upgrade. We do have one already in. What do we got? Tyler Smith, he's actually got three suggestions here. He says, hey, punishment if Joe Ingles gets thrown out again. I mean, I'll take Penny Ann's breakfast. Maybe he drives the causeway to Antelope Island with his windows down. Or has to dress like a kangaroo and run a 5K in downtown SLC, but I'll keep thinking. That's Guys, that's called Friday's show. <laughs> Put it up on Facebook right now, PK. Let's get, a, let's get a head start on the question of the day. Okay. All right, DJ and PK, everything you missed in this show, we will get you up to speed. College football, the jazz, NBA hoops, it's all next. Stay with us. Time to get you up to speed on everything you missed in the show. Brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and AC Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for the $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. So we had an NBA trade. It's brand new, and it's the kind of trade that makes you reread the trade to see if you're missing something because it doesn't immediately make sense. As a matter of fact, there's plenty of reaction coming in now. Wow, the Knicks just fleeced someone. Uh... Woj says ESPN sources report the Hawks are trading Cam Reddish to the Knicks for a deal that includes a protected 2022 first-round pick via Charlotte. Knicks also acquire Solomon Hill in a 2025 second-round pick via Brooklyn in a trade. As well as Kevin Knox. That's also part of the deal. Cam Reddish still on the rookie deal, so it's a little curious, but there you go. Maybe at $137 million, they're just trying to get something for him now before they have to pay him because he's about to get paid. Why is he about to get paid? He's just an average player. He's going to make more than $4 million, don't you think? Okay, sure. If that's your definition, I guess if he makes 5 right. million, he's getting so paid. So he's not, he's not <laughs> great, but if he's going to get 7 or 8 and they're already over 130 pushing $140 million in payroll, they're like, yeah, let's, let's get a protected first-round pick. We're, we're not giving him $6 million bucks or whatever it is they think they're going to give him. He's another underachieving Duke guy. They're a dime a dozen. <laughs> Just wait for the next underachieving Blue Devil. Yeah. We talked jazz this morning. Uh, four straight losses, but you could see this one coming because the matchups were not good, and they got worse after Joe got kicked out. Yeah, I think Lacombe fake getting sick. He just didn't want to have to talk about that game, so he asked me to fill in. I see what he did now. It's all part of the master plan. Yeah, and I bought into it. I thought I was helping out a friend, and really he was just trying to hose me. I figured it out now. Three days off for the Jazz. Maybe they get some guys back. We'll see if Gobert is ready to go for the Nuggets on Sunday, because if he's not, well, they're 0-4 since he left the lineup. And with Hassan Whiteside gone last night, too, not good. Uh, As far as the Jazz, we just had Joe Ingles on. Your biggest takeaway from that, PK? Yeah, it's what I thought. 
I thought that the technical stuff, the ejection was frustration. It was frustration of all the things that he said. Could you imagine having to be holed up in a Denver hotel for three days? No, in the thank winter? you. No, and, no, I thank mean, you. you literally can't go anywhere. That, that's got to be like solitary confinement, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> geez. Uh, so it was clear to me as I was watching, like, what are you doing, Joe? Oh, he was, he was, he was irritable. That first tee, he was so, yeah, yeah, he got bumped and he got shoved. It's the kind of thing you say something about, or maybe you pick your spot later, but it was so obvious when he hit him with his hands and the ball, I was surprised he didn't get a tee for that. Then he barked at him and he didn't get a tee. Then he barked at him again and waved at him. And then they finally gave him the tee then. Was and, he a dog? Two barking? Yeah, a, <laughs> he barked and waved. He put said, one of those collars on him then, and Quinn Snyder just hits it. Boom! You know that could be that could be the penalty. A shot collar for a dog. The big plastic cone of shame that the dogs have to wear so they don't scratch themselves when they have surgery. Put that on. That could be another penalty. No, I, I like the shot collar better. So boom, you just hit the thing, and it just ooh, just wakes them up a little bit, and they know to change their <laughs> behavior. Quinn said, this is way easier than yelling across the floor at him. <laughs> yeah, just have a little thing in your hand. <laughs> but it was clear that he was frustrated. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of events. The great thing about Joe, when he comes on with us, is he brings real life into the equation. And so you get a big time, much more than a peak. It's a real life version of not obviously he doesn't reveal everything and you never know what's going on behind closed doors, but he lets you in a little bit behind closed doors. His in-laws are in town. Uh, the, the kids of uh, us having the COVID and his wife having it a little worse and Joe having no symptoms at all. You know what I mean? He gives you a glimpse of real life. A little, it's, it's like the life and times of Joe Ingles, so to speak. It's not fantasy basketball. Just plug in the stats and win this or win that or lose this or lose that. You bring all the other emotions and people's yeah. stuff to the table. He's one of the rare players who's opened up on another level. NBA News, Damian Lillard is having surgery to address a lingering abdominal injury. The procedure likely to keep him out at least six to eight weeks. His recovery timeline could be determined by the course the Blazers take from here. The Blazers are eight games under 500. They are not good. C.J. McCollum is out. He has a collapsed lung issue to deal with. So if they're not going anywhere, well, then get this fixed. And in the process, if Portland should lose a lot of games and end up with a better draft pick, what would be the harm in that? Zero harm. It's what they need to do. They've been riding, straddling the fence now for a number of years. Not this year. No, they're, not this year. It's on. They're on right. the other side of the fence. Yeah, this year they're on the other side of the fence and just like let it go and let Sacramento or San Antonio or somebody go in there and claim that tenth spot in the playing game and go to LA and play the Clippers or whatever it is they end up doing. The Lakers, eighth in the West, they got beat by the Kings, one twenty-five, one sixteen. LeBron putting up a huge stat line. Westbrook. Missing a ton of shots, two for 14. And the Kings is scoring it well. The Laker defense, woefully inadequate, giving up 125 points. How, many, how much can AD fix when he comes back? Because obviously he's a big piece of the puzzle, but there's also obviously a lot of stuff wrong with this team. 
That's a good point. Yeah, he definitely can make them better, but you can't ignore the fact that they've got so many other issues there. They need to figure out what they're going to do. I wonder if it's a situation, and we've seen this plenty of times, even though LeBron is still playing at an extremely high level, you have to admire the level on which he's playing at. But you wonder with a couple of guys eating up so much of the money and LeBron getting older – is this a situation where this team with the superstar player is just going to sort of be out there in no man's land because they don't have enough to assist him, even though he's really good in an advanced age and what can they do? You know, how many guys now are dying to play with LeBron? Well, they're not going to, I don't know that they'll make any massive trades this year, but so the next year he's 38 years old. So, wow. Who's going to want to like Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, 10 years ago, whenever it was, to be a part of that and think, hey, this is something that I really want. And did you know, I believe that he did that, that uh, take my talents to South Beach thing. I think Donovan Mitchell was in that room as a youngster. Oh, really? Yeah. He was. He was in that group. Cool. Because it was in his home state over there, right? It was in right in uh, the tri-state area, I believe, right? Yeah, where he, he did, where, it was part of uh, to kind of highlight uh, boys, boys, boys and girls, girls club. club. And he, that was the one they, they donated he, some money and they did the interview yeah, there yeah. and they had kids all around the and he was podium in, they, they were sitting at. He was in the Iran. group. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, I mean, do the t- the timeline would work out where he was a, a, a youngster, a young boy growing up, and so he was there. But yeah, I don't view the Lakers as anything really. And maybe they they get Anthony Davis back. Well, is he going to get hurt again? I mean, he's basically been hurt on and off. Yeah. The whole time yep. he's been in the league. Well, they got uh, Westbrook's got an option for next year on forty-seven million, and LeBron gets forty-four million. <laughs> forty-seven. Million. Now, if Le- LeBron can still bring it at thirty-nine, if he's got some kind of Tom Brady thing going at thirty-nine, he could take less money. Westbrook's uh, zero-dollar commitment. So I don't, I don't see how they fix this for next year, but the year after, uh, they've got two players under contract. Uh, THT and NAD, just the initials. And those guys get 51, almost 52 million, and everything else is up in the air. So the Lakers are going to live with this this year, and we'll see if AD gets healthy. And then next year, they've got, uh, they got a bunch of guys signed, and then it's just wide open. Anything could happen after that. Well, I'm glad you're looking at the salary structure on ESPN. Uh, I'm on Hoopside. Okay. Anything, anything else uh, you want to pass along? College Hoops, Utah State. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Tight game, but CSU's really good. And at home, they got it done, 77-72. The Aggies are right there. Competitive game, but they dropped to 10-6 and on the year. I don't know that I could find much fault in the way that they played. Yeah. Well, CSU's only got that one loss. And, and catching them at Fort Collins when they're coming off a 30-point loss, timing not great there. And anytime you go into Moby Arena, I've been to, have you been to Moby Arena? I've been to Moby Arena. Let me tell you about Moby Arena. Is it a really big Thunderdome? Just a really big UCSB, you know, it's got more bleachers. Like like two, maybe three thousand seats. Uh, yeah, I think it seats about eight thousand or so. Yeah, it's UCSB shaped, is six. It's shaped like a whale, hence the name Moby. No. Yeah, it is. Oh, really? you can look it up. Oh, okay. The building on top of it, yeah. It's, yeah, that's where they got the football stadium right by it now. 
but yeah, it, it's okay. I mean, they they can actually have a, a decent atmosphere there. They would see. I'm a little bit uh, skewed because I was covering great Utah teams, and they had a great atmosphere everywhere they went because yeah. they were great. BYU and Gonzaga tonight, nine o'clock, ESPN two. Going to play the number two ranked Zags. And Eric Weddle is a Ram again. Go figure. We'll see how much playing time he gets in the uh, in the playoff game Monday night. But Jordan Fuller, starting safety, season-ending ankle injury. So Weddle is back with the Rams. He's been out of football for almost two full seasons. All right, DJ and PK, there's some of the headlines. That's what's going on. When we come back, your feedback, people weighing in with potential punishments for Joe. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Thrive Appliance. Every day is like a holiday sale at Thrive Appliance. Save 40 to 70% off name brand appliances. Thrive is receiving truckloads of new inventory every day. Visit thriveappliance.com to shop their updated inventory. What should happen to Joe if he's ejected again? We are getting a lot of suggestions here, PK. Greg says he must sit quietly and endure PK singing Men at Work, Keith Urban, and ACDC songs for three hours. Of course, those are all Australian musicians or groups. Jazz Jargon says Joe has to listen to 100 jazz fans do crappy Aussie accents. All right. Keep them coming. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James. Uh, we got other questions of the day here. Lots of reaction coming in. Uh, what uh, fourth, stri- fourth straight loss drops the Jazz in the fourth place? What to do? What to do? Tony says Rudy Gobert is the MVP, and it's not even close. Of what? The team? For Rudy to. Uh, he doesn't say. He just says Rudy Gobert is the MVP, and it's not even close. What matters is, he goes on to add, what matters is playoffs, but the Jazz have been exposed. Joe Ingles' inspiring contract will hopefully get them a younger, better defender, but May and June is when it counts. Yes, I agree with that to a large extent, but I also believe that what is happening now counts. I don't think you can just totally dismiss everything. You know, you're allowing players to score career highs on the perimeter, you know, and, and Rudy can help there, but is that really the sole answer? We'll just get Rudy back and we'll stop uh, Cade Cunningham going for a career high, whatever it might be. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the exclusive answer. Obviously, it's a big part of the puzzle, but I, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do, the point I'm trying to make is not just zero in exclusively on what's going on right now. You know, and try to have big picture approach because I think if you're going to make moves, you can't get caught up in the moment. But to me, and I've never had to make a NBA trade. All I do is second guess them and say they're great or they stunk, whichever turns out to be. But I would think that you have to be removed from the immediacy, but not completely, but still be able to see the grander picture, the bigger picture. You know, for for that down the road. And then you got to factor in salaries and all this other stuff. Man, it seems so complicated when you think about it. I think it's why a lot of trades that people would like to have happen just don't happen. 
And I think we've largely taken our cue from Joe. He seems to have thought about the possibility of trading. Maybe there have been conversations or he's heard stuff. Who knows? He hasn't gone into Like you say, he pulls the curtain back, but he doesn't pull the curtain all the way back because, well, who would do that? Um, but there's, I don't want to say he's resigned to it, but maybe expecting better, better odds than not. And I think we picked up on that, and then you talk to other people and hear what you hear. But at no point can we say it's 100%. For all the reasons you just list, it is complicated to get stuff done. I think as far as the trade situation, Joe is aware fully of all the parameters. Yeah. So I think he'll rest easier when we get to the deadline on November or February 10th, mm-hmm. and his name isn't moved. I think he'll probably be a breathe a sigh of relief. And I'm wondering, you know, he's talking about how he hasn't been playing as well. You wonder how much that wears oh, on yeah. you. I was actually uh, talking to someone uh, about this the other day, and they said, he's not shooting the ball well. And I said, would it surprise you if they get to the trade deadline and, and let's say he isn't moved for whatever reason, if he suddenly just starts lighting it up and shooting 50% from three? And then they laughed, and they're like, no, actually, that wouldn't surprise me. If you try to translate that into your own life, you know, if there's something big going on that may or may not happen, maybe you're going to take a job and move or I don't know, whatever the comparison would be. Well, when you get uh-huh. past that, uh, taking finals in school, when you were done, it was the best feeling like, well, that's over. I feel great now. Wouldn't shock me if that's how it plays out, if that's well, how it played out for Joe. I agreed to a premise, but then I was always nervous until the grades were posted. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a case where I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to do this, and I wasn't going to grad school, so I just had to do it. And then, it, you know, if the grades were great, great. If they were okay, okay. Yeah, but if you didn't pass, you'd have to take oh, it again. Oh, I wasn't going to flunk out. Well, you're network. smarter than me, so <laughs> I get, I get that. But you weren't going to flunk out either. <laughs> you never knew. I, I took every semester like, uh, oh, my gosh, how am, how am I possibly going to get through this? All right, DJ PK, we are out of time. Yak is waving us off. We got to make way for Jake and Ben. They are coming up next right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.